Blog Talk Radio. It's time for Standing on My Soapbox, the daily rant and radio show. We talk about all of the good, bad, and the ugly of current events. Join your host, Scott Fullerton, and co-host, Craig Hurley. You, our listeners, are invited to call in and stand on our soapbox with us. Call 347-989-0126 between 4 and 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Friday. That's 347-989-0126. Now, here are your host and creator, Scott Fullerton, and co-host, Craig Hurley. Well, thank you, Katie, and welcome to a brand new week of Great Talk Radio. It is Monday, April 15th, 2019. You're listening to Standing on My Soapbox, where we rant, rave, and review all about the news, politics, and pop culture stories of the day. We're here every Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Pacific, 4 o'clock Eastern. We hope you'll keep turning in. I'm your host, Scott Fullerton, and joining me in just a few seconds is my favorite co-host, Miss Katie Barberi, a special pitch-in co-host, <laughs> as Craig Hurley is doing the move we've been talking about the last couple weeks. So we encourage you guys to give us a call. Come in and talk to Katie and I. It's 347-989-0126. Whatever's on your mind this week, 347-989-0126. Oh, special co-host, how are we doing, Miss Katie Barberi? We are good, my dear. I'm coming to you just from just west of hell, just about a half hour west of hell, which we like to call a storage unit. Yep, Ooh. coming to you right from there. <laughs> yes, it's lovely. Nice. It's lovely. There I'm you looking. Go. Yeah, I'm looking at a. I'm looking at a concrete floor and uh, uh, metal doors, and it's 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 not prison. It's it's a storage unit, but. Kind of feels like it right now because we're right in the middle of this, um, just in the throes of this move. So Craig is literally placing things in the unit right now, and I am sitting on a chair that is right outside of the unit and doing this show with you because nothing there stops us. There you go. Well, we have room for callers, and if anyone drives down the driveway of the storage unit, bring them on. We can bring in talkers from the from the storage unit. They can stand on my soapbox. We got room today. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know who that would be. It seems pretty desolate today. We did have ah, uh, we did have go. a guy that was unfortunately needed to get into the unit that is directly in front of us and he was uh-huh. walking down the hall. He seemed to have something some sort of a neck issue and um as he was walking he had this kind of very intense look on his face and he looked kind of I don't know, just kind of edgy, just his 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 jewelry and his, his t-shirt and his jacket and his vibe and everything and I thought this is either going to be the coolest guy ever or about to get shot but there's like no there in go. between it's it's yeah it's one of the two extremes he turned out to be the nicest guy ever he needed to get into the storage unit right in front of us and when he opened the unit it looked like it was Craig's unit it was full of Star Wars stuff and and uh, a pumpkin just like the one that Craig's family always had it's just too funny and when you're in oh, when you're in funny. a certain part of the country yeah, when you're in a certain part of the country, how you see the culture, uh, you know, it really it really influences people. I've I've had the opportunity to travel a lot in my life and live in a lot of uh, different parts of of at least this hemisphere, the Western Hemisphere, and it's interesting. You know, people they're brought up uh, the the similarities of of atmosphere are really something extraordinary to watch. You know, right. So that would be a really good example of that right there. 
So how and you how have you guys fared over the weekend? You getting everything pretty much packed up and where it needs to be? Well, yesterday, yesterday it was yesterday was January eighth <laughs> because <laughs> it snowed all day long. So that did put us legitimately behind one day. That's force majeure. That is an act of God. There wasn't anything that we could really do about that. So we just took advantage of it and, and continued packing. You know, it's a dismantling of a three-bedroom house with a full basement and a full garage. Oh, my goodness. So full, full two-car garage. So it is not, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. Um, we have done a lot of moves, Craig and I, in our it's, – it's interesting because they say that moving is, is one of the five – most difficult things that a human being can endure. It's it's on the scale, same scale psychologically with the death of a loved one. It's, it's, it's right there, you know, because it's the dismantling of a life and your things. It was so interesting this morning. I was, I, I went to set down uh, something inside a drawer. I think it was just a pen. And I thought that doesn't go there anymore. So don't do that. Those drawers have to be emptied. The movers are coming. <laughs> Don't do that. And it's just, you know, it's it's the force of habit, and it's and it's and it's it's setting up an atmosphere around you and a type of home. And and for Craig and I, it's just been really hard because, you know, as actors, we're I think we're headed finally to the place that we probably should have been the whole time. But, you know, because that's makes sense. You know, that's what any that's what any um, economist will tell you. Go where the work is. You know, wh- whatever your specialty right. is go there and, and do that. Don't try to reinvent the wheel anywhere else. So, but we have had to do a lot of moving Craig and I between, uh, between Chicago and Miami and, and Denver, we've, we've done a lot of moving around, but this one may be the biggest move so far because this one looks wow. like it is going to be, yes, ladies and gentlemen, a four storage unit move Four. Oh my goodness. Storage units. Yeah. So that's wow. where we're at right now, but it's, it's okay. It's okay. It just makes us stronger. That's all it does. It just reinforces our strength and we will, we will get through it. It's all, it's all in the name of, 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 you know, of a good thing. So, and change is always good. Well, it's I, hard, but it's good. I was wondering that because an actor's life is such a vagabond lifestyle. I would imagine it's one extreme or the other. You'd want to either have a house really set up with lots of stuff. So you have, all the comforts and trappings of home when you actually get to be home or you're so used to traveling, you're at the bare minimalist and have barely anything in your house. I don't think there's much. Yeah, in between, well, one, of my, one of my dear friends, uh, a co-star that I had in Doña Barbara, who is actually Telemundo's Doña Barbara, who is actually one of our, uh, one of our uh, visual inspirations for uh, one of our vampires in, in Daylight Sucks. She is a visual inspiration for George Allenwick. His name is Arap Bethke. And uh, his his email is well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say the whole thing or it's it, I think it's call letters for something but it's viaja ligero, and that's uh, <laughs> travel light, travel light. Nice. Um, and that's that's his scene. Like he doesn't have he doesn't have. I remember I I got his daughter a doll for him to take daughters in Colombia and I got his daughter a doll. It wasn't a big doll. It was I'd say it was maybe. I don't know, an eight, an eight inch box, you know, with a doll. And I got her a doll because he's, uh, I think he has German heritage. So I, I got her a little, 
a little doll indicative of, of uh, you know, German attire and what have you, hair color and everything right. like hers. And he was aghast that he had to put this in his suitcase. Dude, it was a little thing. <laughs> and I was like, what are you doing? But he doesn't do any of that. No, we're absolutely the other extreme. Um, and we have way too much stuff. We have the whole Tony Andriaki um, inventory of, of movie memorabilia and Barbara Streisand memorabilia, and then all of Craig's stuff and all of my stuff, you know, from, from my childhood. And I have an extensive uh, doll collection that goes back to World War I um, that was oh, wow. not just my mother's, but also my grandmother's dolls. It's gorgeous. But, I mean, when you have to pick up and leave, you know, that's I, – I really, I really pray, and I've really been asking the universe – you know, let us let us find that home where we're where we're able to make money doing what we do, not having to do something else because that isn't fair, and right. and but being able to set down roots. You know what I mean? And I think at the end of the day, you know, Craig's Craig's daughter is in California. She's always been in California, so it makes sense that if finally, you know, he and I met when he was twenty and and I was seventeen, and all of these things you know, point to kind of a circle coming full, full circle and the closing of that circle. And then the starting of, of a new chapter that, that makes sense to me, you know, on a, on a spiritual level. So, you know, we're just, uh, we're going to, we're rolling the dice and that's what we're going to do. But right now it's all about getting the bins inside the storage unit. <laughs> <laughs> Is the weather better today uh, at least? Yeah, better weather today at least? Okay. Yes, there's snow on the ground, but the sun's out. So it's not nice. making like any sense. There is no way that, you know, I mean, I get climate change deniers. What is going on with you? Like there is no right. possible way that, that you know, that, that weather is our buddy's Craig, uh, Craig thing. So you and I don't know weather as well as Craig does, but we had a little, no. we had a little weather go through here yesterday uh, in Northeast Ohio. Yeah. We were on a tornado watch for a while part of the country. There are three places of the country, Georgia, um, South or North Carolina, and Ohio, Pennsylvania, was on tornado watch. And when it came through, it came through like a banshee. It lasted only about 10 to 15 minutes. But we had uh, our, our street in front of us turned into a little flash flood. It was about three inches of water going down the entire street. Wow. And uh, a lot of branches came down. Did you get any down. water in your house? Then it was done. Uh, no water came in the house, thank goodness, and um, we just flickered power for one second, and it came right back on. So no major, and it was wow. gone in 15 minutes. So it was done, but it was wow. some serious weather came through. But it was wow, awesome. wow, it was wow, awesome. that's crazy. Oh my yeah. god! Um, no, it snowed all day yesterday. Like all day from, I woke up at five, I always wake up at like four or 5 a.m. I don't know if you do that. I don't know how many people do this, but I know, I, I, I read a, I read where a psycho, psychological study said that we are at our most creative very early in the morning. That's when we're That's at our I've most heard, yeah. creative. Yes. And our most kind of analytical. So I'll wake up and whatever this is going on in my head, whatever, whatever threats I have or concerns or, you know, just things that are, that are like, um, uh, pendientes, things that I, that I know I have to take care of. 
um, at that moment, I, I'll wake up at four o'clock and, but that's when I write my best emails and I come up with the best ideas for things to do. So I always do that. And I go out and get my cup of tea with no caffeine and maybe some cereal or a little cup of yogurt or something. And I sit with my computer and I get whatever that thing is I need to get done, done. And then I, I usually, you know, unless I have to go to, to a set or to a rehearsal, I can go back to bed for a little while, but I woke up my point because I actually did have one. It was already snowing like at 5 a.m. Dude, it did not wow. stop until like five o'clock in the afternoon yesterday. Oh my god! Like goodness. nine o'clock. Oh, that's yeah. right. The sun went down and it kept going. It was like I don't know how many inches it was, but it felt like five or six inches. Just crazy. In the middle of April, wow, truly. I know, so, yeah. really. So, uh, Craig was, you know, the big move was supposed to be today, but but you know, Craig spoke to the mover and he said, "How are you going to put things on the truck before you put them on the truck? You've got to put them on the pavement, right?" He said, "Yeah, you don't want to do that." Because, you know, everything's going to get wet. So even if it was the next right. day sunny, you know, everything would get wet. So anyway, what else is going on, my dear? Well, of course, the big news is Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Have you been able to keep up with that? Yes. Yes, it's on fire. And I saw it's- the notes for today's show, and I thought, I wonder when this is from. And so I Googled it, and I'm like, this is from seven minutes ago. This this yeah. this cathedral is currently on fire, and the roof caved in. Correct. The roof caved in, the spire, and they just had an announcement before we came on the air that one of the Paris ministry officials thinks it's going to be a complete loss. They're going to lose the entire cathedral. They were hoping to save part, but they're unable I'm, to control um, this I'm, point. I'm, I'm taking it. I'm taking it as a sign of from God. Um, uh, thoughts and prayers go out to uh, Christians and Catholics right now. Thoughts and prayers, everybody. Thoughts and prayers. Nobody fight the fire. <laughs> just pray. Well, and they're hampered, too. They're afraid because they want... Go ahead. My voice just got really low, and I just got it really did. cynical. But I'm back now. It did. That was amazing. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Um, that well, was I like my alter the, the, ego, my evil twin. <laughs> right. They're using all the water Thanks, they Craig. can on it. They're afraid, though, it's such a big place. They're afraid that they can't really do water drops, air drops on it, because it will just it'll destroy it for sure. So they're trying to yeah, save no, as much I don't, as they I, can by watering from yeah, below, but they don't think they're going to now. I, I don't. I, I don't. I am so sorry to say this. I don't have a lot of hope. I mean, it's, you know, it, it, that's, it, it's mostly, and Craig was saying on the way here, it's mostly made of wood, obviously. So right. that's, uh, that's, that's not, uh, that's, that's very sad. Very, very sad. It's, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not a, a, a French landmark. It is a world landmark. Correct. I mean, it's, uh, right. uh, books have been written. Classic books have been written uh, with it as a backdrop, as we well know. You know, so that sure. is uh, that's that's a very sad. Do we have any? I mean, it's way too early, but do we have any idea what the problem was? What started it? They're not sure that there is. It's been going under reconstruction in the tower where the fathers where the fire started. So they're wondering if it's something from the building materials that were in there. Somehow, they combusted somehow. They don't really have a cause yet. I'm sure they'll get one eventually. But they're thinking, yeah. they're not thinking arson or terror or anything. They're thinking oh, good, because it good. was under construction in that area that it was possibly just an accident of chance from the construction. So oh, they're not really sure so yet. I'm sorry. I'm sorry yeah. to hear that. It's, That's awful. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wow. a huge loss, of course, for France. It's, it's an immense loss for France. Um, for Catholics, obviously, I mean, this happened the day after Palm Sunday. You have Easter Sunday next week where there's usually a huge That's mass true. there. It's a Catholic church. You do the yeah, whole Catholic it's, it's, thing. I don't no, do religion that thing. And I think it, but, for, yeah. No, and I think it happened to all of us. You know, it is, it is a, a, gorgeous, a gorgeous world landmark, and I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for, right. for everyone that is, uh, that is affected. I'm sorry for all of us, you know. I'm sorry for any 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 child uh, growing up that is about to start reading those books, and 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 the generation before, the children just a couple of years before, might have had the opportunity right. to go and see it, and and they won't. You know what I mean? So, um, or they'll be. I was be able trying to, to get Mama to Linda to call them. in from upstairs. See if I, the lady that lives upstairs from me, Mama Linda, I was trying to get her to Mama call Linda. in. She actually lived in London during the sixties and went to the cathedral a couple of times. And I wanted wow. to get a little perspective from her, oh, but yeah. she's a little phone shy today. But yeah, oh, wow. she's a little phone shy, but we'll get, we'll that's, get. That's her a big eventually. epidemic for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got a lot of, we've got a lot of phone shy to deal with. Cause we know, exactly. we know people are listening. We know we actually have a lot we of know people pe- listening. We see they them. don't want to call. There, but they're phone shy. Yep. Um, and yep, like you talked about, I think a lot that's of the people right. that's we'll listening later, a lot of our listeners are probably at one day behind, so we're seeing all these listeners from the day before that recorded it or going to the podcast. Because you guys can go, That's if true. you're listening for the first time, if you go to your favorite podcast distributors, you can go to Spotify, you go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, tune in wherever you listen to your podcast. Go there and type in Standing on My Soapbox, and you'll find our show there, and you can listen to all of them. And, and we're we're topical, but we're pretty much – you you can listen to us a couple of days and not be lost. So be sure to That's reach true. out and listen to those. But, That's uh, true. No, yeah, so Mama is really not going to call in, but she said, she told me the thing, I guess there's a rose window or something there. It's supposed to be a spectacular stained glass window, one of the best stained glass windows in oh, the world God. is housed there. Yeah. Um, so we don't know what the status is of that. They have not reported on that in the news. I don't know if it was taken out because of the construction. They've taken stuff out before when they've redone parts of the cathedral, but they didn't say what's been done this time uh, during this reconstruction, what's had to be taken out, if anything. So we don't know what things yeah. are left, what things have been saved. That will come in the next coming days. But according to Mama Linda, I guess the Rose Window um, is supposed to be a spectacular sight when you're there live oh, in person. And the place is huge. The place is well, really, that is really a huge. real architectural tragedy. It truly is. I'm sorry for that. Exactly. Yeah. All right. What else so, do you want to go on to? What's hitting your well, heart? Well, I today, was. Uh, I well, I was. I was very. I was very uh, not pleasantly surprised because I think we have some fantastic writers in this business and some really cool people. But you know, this is uh, this is this is interesting. What's going on with uh, some of the most important writers in the entertainment industry and the WGA, the, the Writers Guild of America? Uh, the WGA has been trying to dismantle some section, and and there's, you know, I I don't I read about it, but I don't I don't have all the information correct. So I'm going to I'm going to be as as uh, I'm going to be as as generalized as I possibly can. They're trying to dismantle. Right. Uh, what they consider to be a detrimental issue with packaging. I'm just going to put it that way. Packaging of projects, 
um, that it's not giving uh, writers either, you know, a fair amount of writers the opportunity to work, or perhaps it's not giving them uh, the right uh, residuals or the right payment for the roles, I mean, for the, for the projects that they write for, or a combination of both. But anyway, the WGA is trying to dismantle a portion of this, uh, this uh, issue that they're having with uh, agents and packaging on some level. I wish I, I could say more, but I can't, I can't look it up right this second. And uh, the WGA uh, at, uh, talks fell through with, uh, with the Agents Association uh, about, uh, about not, not doing that anymore, about dismantling it. And they called on uh, their writers that are members of the Writers Guild to please uh, stand with them, stand united. And I believe the hashtag is I stand with the WGA. I believe that's what it is. And many, many writers have published on Twitter their resignation letters with uh, their agencies in, uh, in an effort to stand with the WGA. And, uh, and one writer I know said uh, that, that she, you know, she, she loves her. They've all said, I love my agent. One of them was very funny and said, uh, I love my agent. I am not in love with my agent. Well, except for maybe that one night when the light was sparkling in my eyes and I just seemed to look at them a different anyway. Uh, but the <laughs> point being that I love my agent, but I have to, so that was a very funny tweet. I have to stand with the WGA and another, another writer uh, wrote, she said, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very sad that it's, it's, it's very sad that it's come to this, but this is not about, you know, I love my agent, but this is not about that. This is about, this is not about the one it's about everyone and it's about standing together. And, uh, that's true. Uh, that's true union representation by its members right there. And I, I just thought it was a really, uh, a really cool thing. You know, um, I don't, I don't know exactly what's going on, but for the WGA to call for the writers, WGA is not particular. I mean, they're not, they're not very rambunctious, if you will. They rarely hear the WGA calling for some sort of, uh, united front from their from their members so to see that happen i think is is very interesting and so it must be something that they feel is is detrimental enough to to their co-workers and their colleagues that they they are going to go ahead and take the stand but the letters are really funny because it's dear so-and-so at icm dear so-and-so at william morris dear so-and-so at caa you know and there's writers all over the world that would kill to have that representation but so that's what that'll teach you you know, that'll show you what, what, you know, how important it is that they, that they work this out. Um, and many of them are, are calling for their agents. They're resigning for the moment and calling for their agents to please, you know, comply and do the right thing, I guess, is what they're asking. And then hopefully they'll be able to resume their relationship. But anyway, that's going on. They're tweeting all over the place. Their resignation. Yeah, I, I, I saw that. I saw you mentioning that. And, uh, and I looked into it a little bit. It's very interesting. I guess what this, packaging is all about for the uninitiated such as myself what these agents do is when they put this package together with their clients for the writers they demand a percentage of it for themselves as part producers and they make their own little production companies out these uh, producers and they're the people that um, like CAA and these people that are talent agencies they turn themselves into their own production houses and they end up putting in deals where they get kickbacks and residuals from the writer's writing. Instead of just getting oh, them wow. the job, they want residuals on all this themselves. They're trying to get talent agents to have residuals, much like actors and writers do. And the writers are going, no, 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 no. That's not what, what this is supposed to be all about. And so the WGA has said they're going to 
they need to fire their writers. And it's been very high profile. Like you said, I love Pat Oswalt. He's one of my favorite writers. Um, very yeah, he's a great writer. They, they all are. Everybody that's, everybody that's mentioned in the article, they're, they're, I mean, these are top writers in the industry, all of them. Exactly. Amy Berg, Danny Zucker, all those have been on so many mm-hmm. great things. And they're, mm-hmm. they're being very genial about it. They're saying, I, exactly like you were saying, I love my agent, but I stand with mm-hmm. my union, which is great. We need to stand yeah. with our union. And so the union is, is saying that they need to fire the representatives. 150,000 people in the guild will need to fire their representatives um, wow. because you know, they are I, trying I, to take up part of these writers. Right. I, I dealt with something not it's, – it's, it's, it, it's along these lines only in that ethically it's questionable. And that is that the contracts that we were signing as actors with Telemundo up until when we unionized with SAG-AFTRA uh, last year, uh, those contracts were not like if I if I worked as an actress on a Telemundo project, which clearly I did many of them, I worked on seven up until now, uh, three of them I shot in Colombia. So that was a different negotiation. But the rest of them, I'm sorry, two of them, the rest of them I shot here in Miami. And every right. time I would shoot. Um, I actually was not signing a contract with Telemundo. I was subcontracted. Check this out. I was subcontracted, a subcontracted employee of my managers so that they would then have Telemundo, the company would then have a contract with my manager who, who was hiring me supposedly as his employee. And that That's was what it sounds like this clear. is about. I think this is a very similar yeah. deal. It sounds exactly. very similar. That was yeah exactly. That was clearly to avoid. I don't know if there would be, you know, any monies to be gained from that by Telemundo. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that it was to avoid liability with the employee. I was not an employee of my manager. I did not show up at my manager's apartment or office every day and perform scenes for my manager. I mean, that's absurd. My manager would, you know, he would, he would make the deal and then, you know, really have absolutely nothing to do with it. I reported to work every day at Telemundo, either on location or on set. And I was, you know, made up and, and, and my hair done by Telemundo, you know, uh, makeup artists. And I would work with a Telemundo director and other actors hired by Telemundo. And we would do this project for Telemundo, but contractually, I was the employee of my manager and it it got very sticky because as a subcontractor, of course, I, as an independent contractor, subcontractor of my manager, which the problem with that was, you know, any, anyone on that side of the aisle would say, well, you accepted the contract. You either accepted the contract or you didn't work. See, that's why we unionized is because there was, there was a level of oppression. It's not, you know, it's not, it's not like we had a choice. That was the conditions of the contract. So because of that, you wouldn't get social security. You wouldn't get pension. You wouldn't get health insurance. And I mean, beyond that, my managers were asked at one point, one of them has, has now passed, uh, Henry Moret, and my heart is, continues to be broken. Uh, we all miss him terribly. He's a beautiful human being, but he was telling me one night, that they were asking them to get uh, insurance on me. Like if I were injured on the set, they would be responsible. Well, there is like no possible way that you can do this ethically. You know what I mean? 
I'm not right, my manager's responsibility if I'm injured on the set. I am the company's responsibility. I'm not their employee by any stretch of the imagination. So these things go down, and it's the union, particularly I'm seeing now with artists, with actors, and now with writers, we're seeing this situation that doesn't feel quite kosher, right? It's the union that steps in and says, no, 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 you can't do that. You cannot do, that's not okay. That's not ethical. It's not correct. And it's to the detriment of our members. And we're going to step in and do something about it. So for those of, for the, for any listeners out there that are non-union or don't agree with unions or whatever, I compl- I understand and I respect it, but there are always two sides to the story. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they perform a service in this case, you know, they, they performed a service for us and they ended it. I mean, that, that stopped. Actors are now employees of Telemundo. That is done. That will never happen again. And, and, and that's the way it needs to be. You know, you're writing a wrong. And, and so that's, that's, you know, that's, I'm glad that the WGA is doing it. I'm glad that the, I'm glad that the, that the members, that, that these brilliant writers that are so respected in the industry are standing with their union. And I know that it's, or their guild. Um, and I know that it's going to, you know, it's, it's going to turn out for the best in the long run it's 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 rocky waters for a little while it does it doesn't feel nice but in the long run you know the uh the the effects will be very very positive for everyone concerned god willing yeah it's uh it's it's a a wild thing to have happen so it's kind of exciting that uh that they're taking the stand i mean these writers have talent I mean, it's that two-edged sword. People are outside of Hollywood don't understand this, how you have to have an agent to get your work read, or you can't get your work read without an agent. But I think these people have enough star power between them where they can now bypass the system, um, where they can afford to do this walkout. If you're a new person... absolutely. And it's getting... Right, and it's getting a lot of attention as long as as long as they stand together and they stay strong. Like I say, it gets a little right. rocky for a minute. You know, there's there is pushback, but you know, as as long as they stand together, it's it's yeah. I mean, God willing, everything's going to be cool, and it's going to be it's going to be for for the better. Of, you know, of everyone's needs where right. where that's concerned. Um, you know, it's uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't I don't really think that Craig and I would be headed out to Los Angeles if we didn't have the representation that we have. And it took us, you know, we, we, we got this representation in Chicago. This is, this is a particular agency that's based in Chicago, great talent group. They're amazing. They're based in Chicago. They like their Chicago actors. They like actors to do theater here in Chicago. They like actors to do local work here in Chicago. And then when they feel you're ready, then you can, you know, head out to LA and they've got a very, very, very small boutique agency in LA, but a lot of their actors are, are doing amazingly well. And there's a tremendous amount of respect for Chicago actors um, in Los Angeles because, you know, Chicago actors work hard. I'm not a Craig is a Chicago actor. He was, he was, he was a, a graduate of the Chicago Academy for the arts and began his career here. Absolutely. I have been passing through doing theater here, but I have had the opportunity to, you know, you don't step in as I'm so-and-so and and I'm a television star. No, you don't do any of that. There are no egos here. There's none of that. You don't do that. You step in and you, and you, and you handle your, you handle your work as, as a theater actor, exactly the way your, your coworkers are handling their work as a theater actor. And there's no egos and there's no, there's just very, very, very hard work. 
and exploration of the material and respect for the material and respect for the theater and respect for the audiences. So, you know, when you, when you have actors that can do that and certainly not make, you know, anywhere near what they need to make to live on it or, or create really any fame for themselves because it's just the people that they manage to fit into the theater during the time the project is going that are going to see them. You know, a lot of the actors I work with, they don't even have social media. Yeah, I did a campaign where that was concerned. I was like, I don't care if you think nobody's going to pay attention to you. I do you go to the gym? Yeah, I go to the gym. All right, well, start doing some YouTube videos of yourself working out. I don't know. Do a video of yourself uh, taking a tour around Chicago. I, I don't care what you have to do. But you cannot, you know, back in the 80s and, and the 90s, and obviously before that, uh, there was there was a different way of determining how well known an actor is, and that would have been known at certainly during a time as the Q factor, and the Q factor was based almost solely on Nielsen ratings. And Nielsen, I don't I don't even know if they still have these, but at the time they were these things called Nielsen boxes, and they would put them randomly in something like I don't know it was five thousand homes, or maybe I'm very off on that number, but it was a certain amount of predetermined homes randomly across the United States. And based on whatever the majority was, they would monitor what people are watching. Those would determine the ratings. And so it was based on those Nielsen ratings that you would then, as an actor, get a Q factor. And I had one. Craig had one in the 80s. Everybody kind of knew what their Q factor was, you know, and that's the Q factor meant precisely how many people. Now, this probably wouldn't have been fair because now that I think about it, there were no Nielsen boxes in other parts of the world, just here in the United States, so just domestically. Right how many people know who you are. They don't, that's not how it works anymore. Now it's all based on social media. How many followers do you have on Twitter? How many followers do you have on Instagram? How many, do you have, a, do you have a, a fan site on Facebook? How many people have liked your fan site? How many people follow your fan site? And that's the new right. Q factor. So when you're dealing with these actors in theater, I was just a nightmare for them because they're all about, not all of them. I mean, I don't want to generalize, but a good portion of them, they're about the CSR and they don't want anything to do with that. I'm like, dude, you can't, okay. Then you're just doing this as a hobby, right? Because you cannot actually have a career and not, you know, not pay attention to the social media aspect of this. And a couple of them did, didn't they? They were like, yeah, my agent is like, Either you start to understand or we're not going to be able to handle you anymore. I'm like, just open an account and just start showing who you are. And it doesn't matter, you know, that you're not on TV. That's it. There's, there's a way. You know, it really is quite lovely because we now can connect directly with the people who we are lucky enough to have enjoy our work. We can connect right. directly. Like, anyone can tweet me anytime and say, Katie, I love you, or Katie, I hate you, or Katie, I think you rock, or Katie, I think you suck, whatever it is. But I have the opportunity to either answer that person or not, but it's immediate. You know, back in the day, they would send you like a, a postcard with, you know, a, a, a self-stamped envelope with, you know, with a postcard or whatever and inside a manila envelope and say, could you please send me an autograph picture, which is still, it still happens occasionally, but not as much. Now they just, you know, now they just tweet you and they, you know, right. they leave, <laughs> you know, messages on your Instagram. And I don't, I mean, in my case, I have had very few, you know, like negative trolls. So I think that if you're, if you're cool to the people that you're lucky enough to, to, to have follow you. And if you, and if you, you know, if you respect them first as people and, and, you know, first they're people and then they're fans of yours or whatever, they're not, 
beneath you in any way. They are brilliant in their own way doing whatever it is that they do. They just happen to be taking a minute out of their day to, to say hello or to tell you that they like your work or they like your vibe or whatever it is. If you're cool to them and you do respond, you know, it only grows. But, you know, dealing, dealing with these Chicago theater actors and getting them to change their mindset about that was a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with that. They actually, quite a few of them opened their – they did. They opened their, their – their, they gave in. They opened their social media accounts. Uh, I, am, I am guilty of having created that, created those monsters. So, yeah, well, yeah, like you said, that that's what the industry has turned into, unfortunately. I think we're seeing – Yeah. Unfortunately, anything – you get too much of a good thing. And now with the, when the technology catches up to it, now we have so many of the upper echelon celebrities that are hiring people to manage their accounts that are buying likes and, and posts and things like that. So now it's become more of a fake industry um, where I think Hollywood needs to catch up to that. And they're not catching up to that. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. But I mean, you can, you can tell though, you can tell if you do, you're right. You're right. You can buy followers and you can. I've never done that. I have earned every single one of my 40, what is it? 49 point something thousand followers on Twitter. And likewise on Instagram, every single one has connected to me because they've either liked something that they've seen me in, or they've liked something that I've said or what have you. Right. Um, but, but you can, you can tell if you see someone within a big, whose name you've never heard of, with an absurd amount of followers, just do a little bit of research on them and you can tell if they're right. legit or not, or if they, you know, they may exactly. be paid. And then, you know, there, then there's the ones that do the follow, the follow for a follow. So they'll maybe have like 8,000 followers, but they follow 8,400 people. Then, you know, that people just followed back. Right. You know what I mean? So that's right. also not quite as legit. You know, you can clearly see when somebody has, has carved out a path for themselves and, and it's reflected in their social media. I don't there have a go. big problem. Excuse me. I don't have a big problem with social media. I think it's cool. Um, I don't. I'm not too thrilled with some of the people that tweet. But uh, right. that said, um, you know, I, I think I think it's cool. I think that you know you can find that. I mean, you can you can wade around in the negative side of anything if you want to. Right. You know, exactly. and just hang out there and in in the darkness. Or you can see the positive side of of pretty much anything that's going on. And there's a lot of positivity about about social media, a lot of positivity. I think it's right. done some really cool well, yeah, things. Too, it's created a lot of awareness, you know. Right. And I think for a, an actor, a, too, who's used to the theater background of having that immediate response every night, um, all an actor has to do with for movies and television for so long would go by numbers. What were the ratings? What were the numbers that brought in? Now they can actually get interaction with their fans and get that back and absolutely. forth. Absolutely. For their work, like Absolutely. a theater experience, um, no, good, bad, and, and different. And I exactly. Mean. No, and the bigger theater companies that I've seen, like the Broadway theater companies, you know, they do force their actors to do it now. They force their actors to uh, to, to to make videos from backstage and what have you. They didn't have to force me by, by any means, but I did an Instagram takeover for the Goodman Theater when I was doing uh, um, felons and familias, and you can actually still go on. And then I I copied everything I um, I reposted everything to my own Instagram and it was a lot of fun I did like I don't know I did six or seven posts that day from backstage and just showed people what's going on backstage you know that's it's great you used to have to wait in line for someone to call you yeah if you go on the Goodman Theater uh, 
uh, Instagram page, you'll see them. And or all you go on mine, and I reposted everything. And it was it was a lot of fun. I went in, I went I went places I wasn't supposed to go, and they would just laugh. They just let me go. I went into the wardrobe <laughs> room, and I I did a video from there, and I I went hog wild, and they loved it because you know they don't they're not working with a lot of theater actors that are used to doing that. But when they saw, you know, that I did actually have a following on social media and I take it seriously, you do have to take it seriously, um, take it seriously and have fun. That's the whole point. Take it seriously and have fun. Um, but when they saw that, they were like, would you want to do an Instagram takeover? I was like, yeah, I would love to. And so it was, uh, it, it was a lot of fun. But, but they, they actually do, you know, they ask actors to go, to go backstage in the, in the bigger theater companies and, and do their videos and talk to other actors and whatever, you know, guys, fellow actors out there, be grateful because there used to be, I've been in the business long enough. You used to have to stand in line behind everybody that was doing things that the industry considered to be more important projects before anybody would interview you for anything. And there was no way for you to get your, you know, who you are out there or, or, or see if anybody's interested in that. There didn't used to be any way because you had to go through a filter of publicists and, you know, and, and I, whatever, whatever the media may be, talk show or, you know, radio shows or magazines, or newspapers, whatever it is. You had to go through that filter. And if you weren't considered important enough or if you didn't have the right publicist, publicists cost a lot of money. As you're building up your career, you know, it's really, I mean, you can go broke paying your publicist, seriously. Right. And, you know, they, and, and so if, you, if you're not able to do that, you have to stand in line. Now all you have to do is hit record on your phone and put it on a, a piece of social media that's free to get. It's an account that you can get for free. Now that's, that's what it's about. And you start talking to people about who you are and what you're about and, you know, where you live and where you're working and who your, who your co-stars are and all that stuff. People dig it. People love BTS. They love behind the scenes. They love all of that. And so that's what I would also, you know, tell my, my co-stars on these shows, hey, be grateful because there was a time when you couldn't do that. Now you can kind of, kind of. I mean, it's still important to, you know, at certain points in your career when you've got something airing, what have you. I, I've, Craig and I have been represented, I, I longer than Craig myself since 2006, but we've both been represented by Dominic Friesen. And that is where we met your lovely self, dear Scott, through him, because he set up those interviews. And Dominic is an extremely hard worker. He runs the uh, Bridge and Tunnel um, uh, publicity agency in in Los Angeles. And he's amazing. I mean, he was with It Girl before that. And he's just, he is unstoppable. Seriously, the man is unstoppable. Um, I but, love but Dominic. He, both, you know, in, you, both in work and oh, personal. A, I mean, he had some health problems that he powered through like a champ. And, oh, my God. Uh, I, it's amazing. Yeah, no, he's He's amazing. a great guy. He's ama- yeah, no, he won't stop. He won't stop. And he, you know, he powered through that so that he could continue doing his work. I promise you, it's his passion. Uh, but, you know, as an actor, you can, depending on how much, uh, there are publicists that cost somewhere between five and $10,000 a month. Now, they're probably right. not, you know, their clients are on series and their, their clients are making enough money that they actually need the publicist as a write-off on top of everything right. else. You know, so it's very important at different points in your career to certainly have a publicist to get you on, you know, the bigger shows and GMA sure. and Live with Regis and Kelly or Entertainment Tonight or what have you. 
I mean, of course you need that and radio and, and someone awesome like you and then, you know, New York Times and whatever it is, whatever it is that they can work out for you that you're doing at that point. But when you're not and when you can't afford a publicist, you just hit record on your phone and a whole there bunch of people go. see what you had to say that day. You know, and so I think it's it's pretty fantastic and that we need to be grateful and stop complaining so much about it, you know. Exactly. And uh, I'll do one quick, just my, my Dominic story real quick since he did introduce oh, yeah. us. And I love Dominic. But um, when he very first reached out to me, he, he's Bridge and Tunnel, right? Bridge and Tunnel, um, what is it? Communications, I think. Communications, and, when, yes. Bridge and Tunnel Communications, which confused the hell out of me as well. But that was... I think he's no longer, he no longer has his, I think he's no longer partnered with anybody, but his partner was Alyssa at one point. I don't know her last name and she's from New York. Right. So I think that's where Bridge and Tunnel came from, but it was very confusing to me at that point. Well, it anyway, was I'm funny sorry. because it, it, he did it. My very first email from him came up with the initials and it was Bat Communications. And I'm such a comic book geek. I thought he was like pitching superhero people that I was like, well, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> You that sounds like a superhero yeah, thing. You clicked on that in a speedy fashion, I would imagine. Yeah, that's funny. funny. Yeah, yeah I, bad I communication. I never paid attention. I never paid attention, but that's true. It's bad communication. Yeah, he's lovely. Well, a big shout he's out to Dominic. He, he brought us together. Yes. So he, he's Beautiful our, he's our matchmaker. He, exactly. He has connected us, uh, myself and Craig, with, with some awesome people, obviously, present company included. So, yeah, big shout out to Dominic. He's amazing. Yeah. All right. We only have about 10 minutes left, believe it or not, because we're just enjoying chatting, like, as we do. Unbelievable. We should acknowledge that today is tax day. It's the last day to get your taxes in, boys and girls. Um, Yep. I don't even – I couldn't even understand all the W-9s or W-2s you guys have as actors. That's got to be a crazy thing. Over the year, I I love doing my own taxes. But I don't know if I could do it being an actor. That's just amazing. All oh, the, it's absurd. especially no, if you're no, no, all no, 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 no. I mean, like, no, 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 no. I have an excellent accountant um, in in uh, in in Orlando. His name is Dan Myers of Cubernail uh, Accounting, and they're awesome. And no, 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 not touching it, not with a ten foot pole. And I'm very good with math. But it's, I, it's hard I, yeah. when you're an actor. Number one, it's, I mean, it, it's, it's very tricky. You have to be very sure about what, and you know, the, the, the things that you can deduct have changed. It, right. I mean, it, the, the deductions have changed for actors. That's number one. Number two, Craig and I have a company called Daylight Sucks. It is, uh, it is, it is Daylight Sucks Incorporated. Um, sorry, LLC, correct. I was just corrected. Uh, Daylight Sucks LLC. And uh, so the, the, the business also has to be, the business taxes also have to be done uh, every right. year. And, and so, no, there's no, 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 no. And I, I, like I say, I'm very good with math and I'm not lazy. I'm not a lazy person. I could never be accused of that. But I. No, I you need not... to have professionals on that. Yeah. Too much no, stuff going on. Exactly. You have all no, your licensing deals with actors and you have all yeah, these different people no, you've no, worked no, no, with no. and. Like you said, things to write yeah. off change every year. I could not imagine doing And I love doing my own taxes. I could not imagine that. I wouldn't touch that either with anyone else's 10 no. foot let alone my own. That's crazy. No, no, no. No, no, because you don't know. Because you don't know the tax codes, and you don't know what you can write off and what you can't. And you don't know, no, no, no. 
No, I'm I'm good, thanks. <laughs> there you go. They can do it. They can do it. Well, so I brought it up because I wanted to remind everybody. Unfortunately, I wasn't trying to be a sad reminder that they do, but um, we've been talking a lot in this election cycle, talking about taxes and talking about equality. And there's actually a group that's come out now. They call themselves the Patriotic Millionaires. It's a group of about yes. 200 wealthy individuals, and they're worth billions between these 200 people. And they're advocating for more taxes. They want to be more taxed. They say that they understand that the fairness and opportunity, the fairness, lack of fairness and opportunity is growing. They can see it from their standpoint, and they are not stupid. They have to. They have accountants that do everything they can for them. They know that, but they would not mm-hmm. mind paying their fair share for things. And I think that's refreshing. To see people to yeah, I was I was in shock when I read the notes. Is this lady's name that you that we were referring to specifically? Her name is Karen. 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 Karen Seal Stewart. Seal yeah. Stewart, and she is she is representing she is representing in a fashion this 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 I guess organization or alliance that's happening between these millionaires, and combined they are they're they're worth well over a billion dollars. Um, and, and I think it's, I think it's, yeah, it's because they're not allowing them to pay more taxes and they're saying that they, that they have, they have the funds to do it and that it's about equality and that at the end of the day, it is, uh, is, it is a detriment to, to the country that they not be, you know, even, even if they ask to pay more, apparently they're not being allowed to do it. And so right. that's, uh, yeah, it is extremely, I was in shock when I read it. I thought, wow, go Karen. And she was apparently, she's, I don't know exactly where her wealth is uh, determined from, but she is, she was in real estate, um, in right. my understanding. And she, she said, yeah, she's awesome. I mean, I love that. I love that. I love that they're putting out yeah. that positivity and, and creating that awareness uh, because, because uh, yeah, it's extremely important. It is true. You know, they say millionaires don't want to pay more taxes. Well, um, actually some do. Some would like to, and they're not being given the opportunity. So that's great. It's really, really great that, that they're, they're stepping up and they're creating that awareness. That's fantastic. Yeah, it makes me feel a lot better. I mean, I was, I was exploring the Trump tax cut the other day because we're talking about all this stuff and the, and the tax cuts and taxes and everything. So I like to, to look into this kind of stuff. And there's been four major things that have happened since the tax breaks. One they talk about how it's blooming our economy and uh, blooming our deficit, and it really is. What's happened since these tax cuts went on the corporate tax rate from 35% to 21%, where last the year before the tax cuts came in, there was $264 billion in the fourth quarter, not just one quarter, that went towards our economy to help pay for things here. In one year after the tax cuts, that's gone down to $149 billion. So our economy has lost over $110 billion that used to go to fund all these social programs and things like that. It's been taken away from, from these corporate – like we said, six, uh, Craig and I talked about last week, 60 of them pay zero taxes to begin with. And now we have even more contributing down even lower – the, the yeah. wages are still stagnant. We're not seeing wages go up enough. And it's just really, um, it, it's really the income inequality is really happening. And people that don't, 
understand that, I think they really need to pay attention to it. Tax cuts are a great thing when they're across the board, but when they're only when they're across for, the board. Exactly. Right. Exactly. When they're only for one exactly. class of people, primarily the re, the rich, that we've been talking about trickle down economics from Reagan and yeah, he did a lot of good things, but trickle down never trickled down, unfortunately. It's no, never it happened doesn't. in it our It does not time. trickle down. It does not. No, absolutely not. And it, it, yeah, no, he did. I, I mean, I think Robert, Ronald Reagan did uh, uh, fantastic things as uh, he's, he's one of my favorite Republican presidents. But do you know where Ronald Reagan really shone? He really he really shined as a, as the president of SAG-AFTRA. Well, it was SAG at the time. He did. Extra, it's thanks to Ronald Reagan that actors have residuals. It's thanks to Ronald Reagan. That's how powerful and and amazing he was because he went on that strike for a, a, a long determined amount of time, a little over a year he went on strike. So that was a, that was a, a, a gentleman that created some, some fantastic things, but yeah, no, the trickle down economics never trickle down. That is true. You know, and, and, and I mean, you know, um, experiments fail as well and and we're all human and you have to give that opportunity as well someone can have you know in government the best of intentions and implement a program and hope that it works it's not necessary everything has its flaws and everything you know and people go crazy and ah you know obamacare well um it's like you said and i thought it was great that you said this that one day uh, where you were talking about how it's not that the system doesn't work for Obamacare. It's that there were uh, many doctors that decided not to become a part of the program. So, you know, a politician, what I mean by that is that a politician can have the best of intentions, but if at the end of the day he doesn't get the support from who he needs, he or she needs to get the support from, uh, that's how right. things fail. So who knows? Who knows, you know, the, the positive benefits of trickle-down uh, economics, what he was hoping those might be, and then it, it didn't work out. But I think it's incredibly uh, refreshing that these, these millionaires are stepping up and saying, yeah, no, we, we, we actually we have the money and we'd like to spend it. Can we please do that uh, for the good of the country? Exactly. I think that's amazing. Yeah, it was an extraordinarily refreshing story for Tax Day. I love it. I love it. I love All right. It. Well, last thing, uh, we we only have about two minutes left here. So uh, I would really love to talk about the big premiere of the final season of Game of Thrones last night, but I don't watch it. <laughs> I guess that's big news. You know, for some I had people. I had a friend. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had a friend on social media uh, put. I don't want to freak anybody out, so be sure you sit down for this before you read this post. I have never watched Game of Thrones, not period Thank one you. period episode period. <laughs> yeah, it's and I'm guilty of exactly the same thing, and so is Craig. We would all love to talk about it, but we can't because we don't watch it. I I want to. It's just that there's. Do you know? I I, I think it, Craig said this on a show one day. Apparently, if you try to watch everything, then this is just Netflix. If you try to watch everything right. the Netflix now offers, which for actors, by the way, what I'm saying is absolutely fantastic. But, uh, you know, as a, for career strategy and for career opportunities, it's great. Sure. But if you try to, as a, as a human person, watch everything the Netflix offers, you cannot watch it in a lifetime. So, and that's no. Netflix. So can you imagine, exactly. you know, when you're looking at all of the streaming services? But their point is, as producers and as streaming services, 
and, you know, and cable networks to offer something for everyone. And that gets very, that, that can get obviously extremely varied. Uh, and so if they're offering programming for everybody, this is a reason why all three of us don't watch Game of Thrones. I would like to. I really would. I just have not had the time. I would love to. I'm I can't afford to, to subscribe anyone else. I subscribe to Netflix and one or two others. I can't do HBO and all of them. If you subscribe to all of them, you would be poor. <laughs> it's just too tough. I mean, I, I can't I, do that. <laughs> well, I okay. So that so so call your cable company because uh, you know cable companies call and threaten the one that you have, and and tell them that you're going to leave. If they don't uh, lower your, if they don't lower your rate and/or come up with a better package for you, because they will work with you. Like we have an excellent, we have an excellent package. Um, oh my God, you did not just say that, did you? Uh, we have an excellent cable package. Uh, <laughs> we have an excellent cable package, um, and it's be, and it's because you know we, we you you call and you complain enough, and they and they will they will right. come up with a good. We're a good, a good table package for you. So here's hoping we all get to catch up on the insanity that is Game of Thrones, and it's apparently awesome go. writing, and I think that's fantastic. It was very right, hard well, for me not to. Last... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to okay, say go I, I was so close to reading all the spoiler alerts for people who hadn't seen it because I didn't really care, but I thought that would just be too cruel. So we got about one minute no. left. So bring up. Bring bring my my stalwart co-host on, and I, we'll I, wrap it up I, here. I am be I am ordered to. Sure. Thank so, you, Katie okay. Um I just want yes, be nice to be nice to each other, and I love talking to you, my dear. Any chance that I get, and I, for me, it's just a phone call between friends. I, I have there no idea we will talk that, soon. That, that we are doing uh, long term by having all these opinions. But I just love talking there to you, you on go. the phone. Hang on one second, my Thank dear. Thank you, Katie. Hey, dude. My erstwhile co-host. How are you doing? I'm packing stuff and and stacking stuff. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I I, I don't have the muscles you're going to have by the end of this move, but that's okay. I'm doing good. I'm doing my Oh, no, I already I, – I started this in, in, like, January almost on a daily basis. <laughs> lifting stuff up from downstairs. And so, yeah, I currently have the body of an 18 year old. So I have a bigger chest than I did then. He's so uh-huh. hot. Oh, look out. Look out. You're the one talking about. All right, my friend, you have one what? minute to wrap I, I things up. Then we got to play out here. What? Take one minute and give, one us, minute. give us one minute. Oh, wow. Uh, let's see. How about a weather forecast? I don't know. Um, look out. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> look out, United States. Uh, we're getting pummeled. You know, uh, it's this whole climate change thing, guys. Whole climate change thing. That's what it is. And it's getting um, worse and worse as we go along here. So look out for tornadoes. Well, we, will, we will go back to that tomorrow. So much to talk about. Letting, we'll find out more about this cathedral. Um, good luck with everything today, my friend. Thanks for popping on the last couple of seconds. We appreciate you loaning us your lovely fiance for the hour. We had a wonderful time. Yeah, no problem. It sounded like it. It sounded like uh, it was very informative. Katie has a lot to very, say as well. Very cool. I love it. All right, I'm feeling a little big bandish. We're going to play out a little Luck Be a Lady tonight. Stay tuned. We have Left a Straight Show coming up nice. next with uh, special guest actor Zach Barrick. We'll be talking to you tomorrow, 1 o'clock Excellent. Pacific. 
4 o'clock Eastern. Bye-bye. Peace. They call you Lady Luck, but there is room for doubt. At times you have a very unladylike way of running out. You're on this date with me, the pickings have been lush. And yet before this evening is over, you might give me the brush. You might forget your manners. You might refuse to stay. And so the best that I can do is pray. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the Internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show. It is the Monday, April 15th, 2019. Hope you all had a fantastic weekend. I'm your host, Scott Fullerton, and I'm excited to start another great week of talk radio with you. I'm joined today by one of my Left of Straight Radio's newest interns, Audrey. Audrey, how are you doing today? I'm doing really good, Scott. How are you? Happy Monday. Happy Monday to you. I'm excited to have you on. We have a great interview coming on in just a few minutes. We're going to be talking to actor, comic, and singer Zach Barak, an out and proud transgender member of our LGBTQ community. Then in our second hour, we're going to replay an interview with John Jackson, the owner and proprietor of Indulge Gay Men's Resort in Palm Springs, where he's going to be hosting us the big gay road trip coming this june so you're here for a good day my friend thanks for tuning in oh yes definitely how was your weekend it was busy i mean it was a beautiful weekend here until last night (laughs) but uh, (laughs) uh i was i was really busy and uh i did enjoy it a lot very cool. I had a good time Saturday. I was downtime for me. I didn't have a lot to do, so hung out with some friends. We took a little drive in the sunshine, had a nice dinner, played a little poker. It was a good time had by all until we had our tornado watch last night where we got blown around a little bit, but that was like 15 minutes and it was done, so I was good with that. You guys survive okay? Yes, yes. Uh, you know, when I looked at the radar, it looked really, really bad, but 
when it blew through here, it was like eh, eh, just a typical spring storm. There, and it went through fast too. I mean, we got a lot. I mean, we had like a three-inch flash flood going down our street, flooded the entire street. But like I said, it lasted for maybe 15 minutes and it was done. Couple, couple of trees down or branches down, but nothing major here. So we got pretty lucky. I was happy. Yeah, um, I actually saw a little bit of hail falling. Uh, the only damage I had personally was I lost my internet for a half hour. <laughs> that was terrible. Oh no, that's horrible. <laughs> how do your how do your yeah. uh, puppies handle that? How do your animals handle that? Oh, they they don't even know what's going on. They don't even care. Um, I've had well, to take them nice. in the basement. I've had to take them in the basement when we've had tornado warnings. And they're like, why are we down here? <laughs> they just, you know, they're pretty <laughs> laid back. <laughs> Very nice. I like that. Well, cool. We got a lot of stuff going on today. I do want to talk for a second with everyone about the Big Gay Road Trip a bit. I'm going to be leaving at the end of May here, spending June in Palm Springs for the Indulge Resort, which I told you earlier. We're going to do live shows every Monday and Tuesday with live guests coming in from San Diego, L.A. I even have a guest coming down from Canada. And cross your fingers, I may have a guest from England coming over to the show. So that's going to be an exciting time. Every Monday and Tuesday in June, we have a big Indiegogo campaign running right now, trying to raise some funds so we can add a third day. We want to bring our women and allies on. And the Indulge Resorts, a game and resort, where we do the shows on Mondays and Tuesdays, so I can't have women or um, allies in there, unless they're men allies who don't mind going in. But um, we need to make some money. So if you guys can go to Indiegogo.com, look under Big Gay Road Trip, or go to the Left of Straight Show website. It's www.leftofstraight.com. Left of Straight is always spelled L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R and the number 8.com. You can go on the Big Gay Road Trip link on the website and follow along there. Get announcements of all the guests that will be joining us, and you can get links to the Indiegogo campaign. But if we can raise some money, we're going to bring one of my interns out, hopefully, that will help coordinate things while we're out there. And we will be able to add this third day of shows and bring our allies in. We'll have to get an outside hotel we'll have to pay for. And it will help me pay for the course, for the trip, because last year this all came out of my pocket. And it was a little pricey going 7,000 miles on the car. So, any help is fine. Five or ten dollars is appreciated. Thank you guys very much. I want to thank our media sponsors, Pink Banana Media in New York City and LA. They're getting the word out. The uh, hashtag I Love LGBT360 Twitter campaign is talking about us. We just added Hillcrest Social and the now trending app from San Diego shouting out about the road trip. And a big shout out to our guest sponsors, CBT Candle in LA. And TH Productions are helping put together some great gift bags for not only our celebrities that make the trip out to L.A., but also for you at home. If you go to the Indiegogo campaign, we are doing 100 um, specialty um, swag bags for, that our celebrities are getting. You can get if you do a donation to the road trip. So go check that out. And I definitely appreciate it. If you're missing out anything on the road trip, follow on social media, on Instagram and Twitter. It's at Left of Straight, spelled the same way as the website. On Facebook and YouTube, the Left of Straight Show. 
Be sure to subscribe to the podcast at your favorite distrib- podcast distributor. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, all those things, especially here at Blog Talk Radio. Just hit the little subscribe button, and we'll love you forever, I promise. Before we get uh, Zach on in just a couple of minutes, let's go ahead and dive into the news today. Um, Audrey, we talked about, uh, we have a trans guest on, and we talked about um, trans issues here when we can. Dallas police arrested a man this Sunday night, last night, in the beating of a transgender woman that authorities called an act of mob violence. Have you been able to read about this at all? Um. Actually, um, this is the first time hearing about this. This has happened Sunday. Happened Sunday. Yeah, it happened this weekend, and they announced oh Sunday it's happening in Dallas. Um, the luck they they knocked this poor girl out till she was unconscious. Um, seems like she is okay now. Was able to give a report to the police. It started out over a traffic incident, believe it or not, in an apartment complex. Someone cut someone off. There was a slight fender bender, and this person just went off on this transgender woman. And uh, all of a sudden, a mob gathered around and started kicking and beating the poor girl into unconsciousness. This happens way too often. Um, man. Uh-huh. Uh, talk about these kind of things. Uh, what, what extra precautions do you take? When you go out, do you feel like you have to take extra precautions? Well, I live, Scott. I mean, it, it, there's not a lot of – it's not highly populated. It, it's kind of a small town. And gotcha. uh, we, we don't have much crime here. And um, when I go out, you know, I'm always aware of my surroundings. And, and this is this is what I tell people on my on my YouTube channel is – if you are out and you're by yourself, just, you know, you need to be aware of what's going on around you at all times because you just never know what's going to happen. You, you know, you, you could get into a, a car accident or you, you may have looked at someone and they took offense somehow. And, uh, you know, you just got to be, you know, vigilant about what you're doing, where you're going. I always suggest, if if you're going to go out, go with some, go with a friend or a family member, and um, but yeah, I just uh, I, I'm looking at this. I'm just I'm appalled. I'm really appalled. Yeah, it it happens way too often. I mean, statistics alone, um, the human rights campaigns put out that uh, there was. Uh, I think what it was, there was 128 transgender killings between now and 2000, uh, 2013. So in the last six years, we've had 128 transgenders killed in violence. Of those, uh, over um, 100 of those victims were people of color, and 95% were women. Um, so it's really a, a, a tragedy and epidemic proportion. So it's something... We need to pay attention to. It's something we need to get authorities involved with, and it's just pretty bad. So I'm glad we're able to talk about that and bring this to light in the show. Dallas, um, right now we have Texas in general trying to pass a lot of quote-unquote religious freedom laws to make it okay to discriminate against all LGBT people in general. 
So we really have to keep a vigilance on this and be sure to talk about it. So, man, just too much news. And but let's go ahead and get ready for our guest because uh, we're going to have our guest calling in here in just a couple of seconds. I can't wait to talk. We'll play a little bit of a break here. This is Matt Stern with Travel Around Your World. And we'll be back in just a little bit with Zach Barrick right here on the Left of Straight Show on the Left of Straight Radio Network.
All righty, we are back. That was Matt Stern. Matt will be with us in Palm Springs next month, driving all the way down from Canada or flying in from Canada. Guys, I'm excited to have my first guest today. He's an actor, comedian, and singer who just happens to be an out and proud member of our transgender community. Being the huge comic geek that you know I am, he sent my spidey senses tingling when I learned he's going to be in the upcoming Spider-Man Far From Home movie that's going to be landing in theaters the first week of July. Uh, I can't wait to share his story from music to student to actor to MCU blockbuster and everything that happens. And of course, we have my intern, Audrey, here helping me out asking questions today. So let's go ahead and get right to it. Please welcome to the show for the very first time, Mr. Zach Barrick. Zach, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be Thank on. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Welcome to the show. Uh, where are you calling in from today? You out in L.A.? I am out in L.A. Um, hanging out. Um, it's a beautiful day. I'm very excited because I was a little worried during the rain uh, earlier this, the past few months that it was going to be like that forever, <laughs> but I know better now. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, L.A., uh, everyone sees L.A. as a beautiful place, but so once the first rains come in, everyone drives horrible, and it, it's not fun for a couple of weeks, but it, it gets better. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, I always like to uh, get a little background on my first-time guest. Tell me a little bit about where you grew up, what kind of a kid were you, and what did you first want to be when you grew up? Oh, boy. <laughs> Things have changed, <laughs> I'll say that. Um, so, I actually, I, so I, grew up, <laughs> um, I grew up uh, in a northern suburb of Chicago called Glenview. Um, and, yeah, and I, you know, the truth is when I was a little kid, I actually, I, I did want to be an astronaut originally. Um, and then I found out you can't get car sick and then also go up in space because it's just worse. You know, leaving leaving the atmosphere is a little tough. So um, I realized I had to sort of concede and, and move on at that point. And I, I don't know, something I got really attached to music for a while. Um, I've always been attached to performing as a whole. And in the past few years, it's sort of evolved into acting and comedy specifically. So, um, yeah, so it's been, I would say as a kid, um, I was, I wanted to play sports. I was very athletic. You know, I was, I was, cause I, you know, I was a tomboy, you know, I wasn't, and I had no, I didn't know, you know, the word for what I really was. So I was just active is what they would say, you right. know, active and creative. <laughs> Felt like a coach. <laughs> nice. Audrey, do you have any questions? Yeah, uh, Zach, you know, growing up in Chicago, um, you know, the Windy City there, uh, what are some of your favorite things about Chicago? Okay, Um, I got a long list. Um, There's a lot of really amazing food, which is um, my first and foremost, my favorite. Um, My grandparents um, live like off of the off of Lakeshore. So when we were kids, when we would visit them, we'd get to go to all the like fun little restaurants out there. Um, but the music scene as well, I remember going to one of my first concerts ever at the House of Blues with my friend was when I was in high school. So it was an alternative punk band, obviously, um, wore a lot of eyeliner um, and had some fake vampire teeth. Um, not a look All that right. I particularly have pictures circulating about, but they do exist. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, and so, you know, I realized very quickly um, that music and the food, but um, my very favorite thing is the Art Institute. 
Um, and also just all the museums in Chicago are beautiful. Um, there's a big dinosaur outside the field museum called Sue. And I used to love Sue. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, I, I love Chicago. I had an opportunity to visit there once and I just loved all the great food. And when they say it's a windy city, it really is a windy city. <laughs> Yeah, it is in, in, in every way, you know, they say it's the windy city for a lot of reasons. It's the wind, it's the, uh, it's the hot air that the politicians blow and it's the, uh, and it's, and it's our, and it's our attitude. So I like to hope that I can really keep up that reputation myself. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm going to switch gears here a little bit. Um, I wanted to ask you personally, since I'm a transgender female, when, when did you first come out to yourself as transgender? Um, so the truth is that when I was in high school, so I, my whole life I was um, a tomboy, and I had a really good friend who was uh, my best friend growing up and, and one of my best friends still. Um, and we had a pact. When we were in fourth grade, we said, okay, when we get to middle school, we have to start dressing like girls. Um, you know, because of this pressure, it felt like we were starting to get to a point where it was no longer okay to be, you know, masculine. And so I remember the very first day I wore an Abercrombie and Fitch, like a green hoodie and bell bottom jeans for some strange reason. Um, and I straightened my hair and I was like, boy, this feels weird. Um, you know, and it was, it was, it was sort of like, it was like wearing a costume, you know, except not one I really, and I love dressing up. So you would think it'd be fun, but it felt, it felt uncomfortable. It felt wrong. Um, and right. so, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know the words for it, but I knew something. And I think in a way, you know, I could argue maybe that was the moment or, you know, maybe it was even earlier when I realized, you know, every day I would, I would pray that I would wake up a boy and, you know, but I didn't, I didn't have the words for it. So um, in high school, I was fortunate enough to, um, attend a, a small school with some really amazing role models. And I had a English teacher who would come to school in three piece suits. She was amazing. It was like very, like, she was very like dead poet society, but gay. Um, oh, and nice. she was like <laughs> wonderful. And I, I loved her and she, um, and I just seeing her, I realized I can dress however I want. And so then I started dressing how I wanted. And then I started getting some amazing experiences. I went to a, a, uh, sort of a conference and I met like people who were trans that were my age and I was like wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, uh, yeah I think in that moment I was like I have a word for it this is what I am and um you know my best friend that I had talked about earlier I, I remember actually very vividly in high school telling her I'm never going to come out as anything you know let alone you know, I, I had, because I'm also, you know, I'm pretty fluid in terms of my sexuality, too. I was like, you know, I'm never going to come out as anything. I promise you, you can hold me to that. And she was like, I don't know, <laughs> you know, but, uh, and so it's funny to look back and it's a relief. It feels like a weight off my chest. I wonder sometimes if things hadn't gone the way they had, if I hadn't, you know, ended up at the high school I did, you know, if circumstances hadn't pointed me there, it scares me. Um, it makes me fear, you know, it freaks me out to think, what if I never learned the word, you know, for myself? What if I never... But, right. you know, I'm lucky and very right. fortunate. And, and so I think having something like that, having a community or knowing that it was out there, especially people my age, was the moment I realized I'm transgender. Um, you know, but I know it's so different for everybody, you know, and, and, and there's such different forms of how it can come out. And I think 
even a, one person can have different moments of coming out or coming to terms with it. You know, I feel like there were like several points in my life that were pivotal in this journey specifically. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's not just one thing. I, I definitely relate to that. It's like multiple events in your life that happen. Um, when did you come out to like uh, friends and family? So my senior year of high school, um, I had a, I had sort of like a lot of serendipitous things happen. Um, my advisor that I got assigned to just out of luck, um, her son was transgender and it was just, he was sort of wow. a friend of the community and no one told me right away, but I was sort of, we had a secret little group that met at my high school. We called them um, affinity groups. And so if you shared an identity, you would all meet. And the only one that wasn't like the location wasn't public was the queer one. You had to like phone a friend or like the teacher or email in and find out where it was. <laughs> uh, so like we meet secretly and, um, and we would talk about it and I, we got to write secret questions. And I remember writing one down being like, what do I do if I think I'm trans? And one of the teachers was like, well, what if we reach out to this person? And I was like, holy cow, that's my advisor. Um, and it just felt like, maybe this is the year I start talking about it, you know? And so um, I was very, very lucky that my two best friends really helped me. I, I sort of slowly was like, what do you guys think of this or this? And I remember that was so, it was kind of fun in a way, you know, it was one of the scariest things I've ever done, but it also felt like I get to, like, we got to play around with names. Like it was, it was, I, we got to play around with, you know, pronouns and it was all of a sudden it felt like, okay, I need to tell my family because this is better. I don't know if it's going to be easy, but it's better. Um, and so I texted my mom my senior year of high school, and I was like, I think I'm transgender. And it just sort of, from there, I realized, you know, what I'm going to post it on Facebook. I'm just going to do it as a blanket statement. And I did, and the feedback was overwhelmingly positive. I mean, so That's I was great. so fortunate to and, you know, because I, because well, I high school in a very different community than I grew up in, um, and and so I wasn't sure that the people I grew up with were gonna, you know, who hadn't spent the last four years with me were gonna get it, um, and I just felt so lucky and so thankful. But you know, it came with its share of. I had a, a Tumblr at the time too, which was a little more, you know, there's more anonymity on the internet in that way. So I was also getting simultaneously like these messages that were quite mean being like you'll always be a girl you know so it was weird because the people who were saying things to my face were being nice and then there was this faction of people who I didn't know who they were that were just being cruel um so you know it was a mixed bag but overwhel you know overwhelmingly positive and you know I, I was very lucky so that kind of rolls into my one of my follow-up questions is is do you um, you you face some harassment online, but do you still get any like harassment, or do you get misgendered by people? And how do you deal with that? Yeah, you know. So my funny story that I always tell is that my grandpa is in his nineties, um, and he is the person who has most done the best. I mean, he's not once since I told him ever hesitated, said the wrong thing. So I always use it as an example when people get it wrong. It always, I guess it's always why it's so shocking to me or so hard, you know. Um, I do still face that, um, especially after the movie announcement came out. Um, it's kind of – I do find them sometimes a little funny is the truth. Um, 
because you have to, you know, some of them are just silly. Uh, you know, I'll post something like, uh, I posted something about how, um, you know, they're putting a lot of, there's going to be some legal um, ramifications of the administration that we have right now that could impact transgender people. And I remember saying, like, this is scary. And someone just replied in all, like, cats, like, good. And I know it's not funny, but it, it, it just felt so silly. It was like, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I what a comeback. You know, what a comeback. There yeah, you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, right, exactly. Like, so creative <laughs> and well thought out. Thank you for your thoughts, you know. Um, but, like, it is true. You know, I get a lot of comments on Instagram or on Twitter um, of people, you know, you'll always be a girl. Someone said, um, you can tell from her eyes. And I was like, what can you tell from my eyes? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, it's, just, really. it's, it's silly. Like, people will really cling to whatever they can. But, um, but like I said, I never have to defend myself, you know, because the people who support me do it. You know what I mean? Like, the, the, I think the most surprising thing for me was I, there were times I wanted to reply. My friends were like, you can't engage with everybody. Um, first of all, it's exhausting. Second of all, you know, then you're entertaining them. And I'm, I looked at the comments and I realized I didn't even have to defend myself because there are trans kids and also just allies that are doing it for me um, in the most loving, compassionate and hopeful way in a way that made me feel very deeply touched, but also enormous load off of my shoulders in a way where I was like, you know, this is a conversation we're going to be having for a very, very, very long time. And it can't just be right. a few of us. It's got to be all of us. I love that. And I always stalk my guests on social media for a while. And I love following your social, but it looks like you and your brother are still besties. I mean, it looks really cool. You have a good family dynamic too. Yeah. um, You know, so, so every family's got this stuff, you know, and I would say we, we certainly do. I mean, um, the barracks are a complicated bunch, Um, very pathological people, but um, for what it's worth, when it comes to being transgender, um, my brothers have been my biggest champions. I mean, they they would put me on their shoulders and, you know, carry me around if they could. I, they're just my knights. You know, they're my knights. They, they they really would kick anyone's ass. <laughs> you know, they, they, <laughs> my language. They, they really will go to bat for me. And, you know, in, in the most impassioned way, I mean, it's the most love, I, I think sometimes it takes, not that we didn't love each other or that we didn't have ways of showing it before, but sometimes I think it takes a big life event to really take stock of how deeply connected you are with the people in your life and how lucky you are. And I think coming out as transgender was the most information I got on my brothers. You know, the most I learned about them and my mom and my dad um, was, was seeing what, what comes out of protectiveness, what comes out of defending the people you love, what comes out of wanting the people you love to succeed in spite of whatever might be in their way. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I'm very, very fortunate. Um, you know, they, they're, they're still the people who, you know, sat on me and will still sit on me. Um, physically, <laughs> I mean, clear. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're never going to stop being brothers, but, but, but they've never hesitated to treat me as one of them, you know, and that's, that's an amazing thing. That's fantastic. I love that. Let's start getting into a little bit of your work, and then we'll take a break in a second. But uh, I want to start with the whole comedy thing uh, before we get into acting. Talk about that. What kind of a comedy do you do, or is it more 
observational or self-deprecating, or what is funny to you? <laughs> well, I almost made a joke, which is that I'm Jewish, so of course it's self-deprecating. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, it is, you know, it is a little bit of both. You know, I love, I love drawing some pain, you know, because what else are you going to do with it? Um, a lot of my jokes are about being Jewish, about being transgender, about being little, um, about my family being crazy, um, you know, and, and, and I think that the amazing thing about comedy is that you get to, it's perspective, right? Like you, it's not I, what you were saying, you know, what type of comedy do you do? Um, I love that it's not just one thing, you know, it's not just, you get to do, you can, you can have many personas because then you get to look at your issues in 17,000 different lights. Um, you know, right. it, looking at being like a five foot one Jewish, transgender, masculine person, um, you know, I'm not like the pinnacle of athleticism or anything, but what, what a gold mine there is there. You know, I get to, I get to chat about how, how I'll just, I just played basketball in eighth grade. I was really sure of myself. I mean, what kind of, that's the biggest joke, you know? So, you know, the, what, what, a, what a buffer of information I've given myself by having the life I have to just talk about the silliness that comes up in it. Um, and then, you know, I also get to make fun of some of those people online, which is so fun. Um, you know, I, I, have a, I have a bit talk about um, a man who approached me on the street and he was like, I don't, you know, he, 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 he gave me like a, every slur. He was like, what do I call you? You know, because at the time I wasn't, I didn't look quite as masculine. I sort of was androgynous, but my voice had already dropped. So I think he was just, he was caught off guard. You know, he came up, he was like, do you have a cigarette? I was like, no. And he's like, cool. Can I ask you something? And I was like, oh, this is what this is about, you know? And he was like, like, would I call you a homo? Or, and I was like, and, and you know, I, I didn't, in that moment, I didn't get to say anything, create a reality where I did. So in my stand-up, I say, you can call me daddy, because that's what I wish I had said. You know, I wish I had said something silly that. or ridiculous. <laughs> and, and so I get to create that, and it's so much fun. And, yeah, being on stage is unlike anything else. I love that. Nice. We have a picture of you at the Improv. Uh, where have you performed so far, and would you like to go on tour? That's kind of grueling work, a comedy tour is tough stuff. Yeah, so um, I, you know, my ultimate goal, yeah, is to be, I, I would love to do, I would love to do all my passion projects, um, you know, and that includes acting, music, and comedy. Um, comedy is a really big one in my life right now. So what ended up, ha what actually happened is that um, while I was still at USC, I started taking a um, theater class, which was a specialized, specialized in stand-up. Um, and I took it with two professors, one of them named Judith Shelton, who was amazing, fantastic, one of the kindest, most loving and supportive people I've ever met. And then Wayne Fetterman, who's one of the funniest, most dynamic and thoughtful professors I've ever had. And they both brought so much insight into it, but they also challenged us. So the shows I've done were all thanks to them. So the very first show I ever did was at the West Side Comedy Theater, which is sort of in an alleyway in Santa Monica off of the um, promenade. Um, and it's a really cool, fun theater. Um, and we did so well that night, our class, that they invited us to do a monthly show. So we still have that. And so I'll do that occasionally. Um, and the improv was uh, the final for the other class that I did with Wayne. Um, and so, you know, I've had these amazing, fantastic introductory, you know, opportunities. There's so many comedians who um, getting your foot in the door is really, really hard. It's just incredibly right. difficult and work so tireless, incredible gifts be able to perform on these stages and get you know the opportunity to come back like it's you know it's one thing to ask someone to come once but to ask them to come back is like what a privilege what a what an honor 
Um, you know, so, so to be part of the group that got asked, that was just, it blew me away and it made me feel like, okay, now I have to work harder. That's what this means. Doesn't mean, <laughs> you know, it means now I have to Great you know, that just means be better. Right. So, you know, wow. um, so it's been amazing and I've, I've been feeling really good about it. I will say, um, you know, I've done sets here and there at places or with audiences that are a little tough, you know, and there's nothing like your first, um, sort of your first bomb, you know, or your first tough <laughs> set to like really humble you. But it also, um, after that day, cause it was in a, it was like in a little coffee shop that's actually right next to where I live. Um, and it was sort of an audience, I think that maybe just wasn't expecting jokes about transgender people, <laughs> um, you know, for five minutes. And so I, I think it was, you know, it was, it was tough. Um, but I also, I had, a, I had a few auditions after that and none of them felt like anything after that. I mean, it emboldened me in a way that I just have never felt like I was like, Oh, I, I can do anything. If I can bomb, you know, <laughs> I can do, I yeah, can truly awesome. do anything. So, but, Hey, Zach, what, what comedians do you look up to? Oh, um, so uh, Tig Notaro is probably one of the biggest ones. She is, I'm sure, um, you know, you've heard of her. She's fantastic. I recently watched her documentary um, on um, Netflix called Tig, and it's about how, you know, she, she faced a lot of adversity um, in terms of her health and family all at once and it really it how it translated to not not eventually it came out as you know gold and comedy but for a while it didn't you know and, and it's like if you're facing this really hard thing and you can't come through it in that moment it's really disheartening but she powered through and she's one of my you know she's one of the most successful incredible comedians and she's queer and you know um and so i love signataro there's a uh, twitter uh, someone i discovered on twitter recently her name's patty harrison um, and she's actually a transgender woman who does comedy, um, some like kind of fun, surrealist, silly stuff. And I, I literally can't stop laughing when I read her tweets. They're so silly. Um, and um, Joel Kim Booster as well, because they, they have a show together on Comedy Central, a short one, and they, they have some fun, silly humor. Um, and I love, I met a, a, on set for something recently, a, a trans comedian. His name's Ian Harvey, and he's wonderful. Um, and, and, and someone else who's a trans masculine person having these, you know, conversations on stage with people and, and relating and teaching things that these people don't want to hear unless they can be, you know, either spoon fed it or in a way that they can relate to. And he really just does it with such finesse and such tact. And, um, you know, so there's, there's so many comedians that I love. I love, um, yeah, so many, yeah, so many comedians and it's, I hardly count. I love John Mulaney, you know, a couple of the other big names. So, yeah, so those are some of the ones that come to my head, though. Awesome. That's great. If there was one mainstream comedian, a superstar that you would want to meet, who would it be? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, I think that, hmm, that, let me think for a second. So we recently watched, I recently rewatched one of John Mulaney's um, specials. And I love it so much because there's an, there's sort of an awareness of, you know, the, the differences in the way he grew up from other people that like he, so he's Catholic and, and, and there's some, and he talks a lot about how that like informs who he is and stuff. And I have no way of relating to a Catholic person as a Jewish person, other than we're all Jewish, I suppose. And so, um, and so, you know, the point is he made it relatable. And so there's something there. There's something that I want about being able to connect with everyone, not just some people. I mean, that is my biggest issue with people who constantly punch down in their comedy. Um, you know, people who take it, you know, who take it out on, on folks who are marginalized in a way that doesn't really 
feel funny after a while because um, you're just alienating people. You know, those people no longer get to enjoy your comedy if you do it in a certain way. And I love that, you know, there's this like white man who's cisgender and straight. Um, and I just can relate to so many things that he's saying. And so many of my friends of different backgrounds can as well. Um, it's just, it's, that's the kind of person I would love to be, you know. Awesome. Nice. That's great. I love that. John Mulaney's one of my favorites. Kid Gorgeous, I just watched again last night, as a matter of fact. I love John Mulaney. He's hilarious. Yeah, he's so great. Very cool. Let's go into singing for a second. Talk to me about that. Do you like the performing aspect of the singing or just the music in general? Do you play an instrument? About You went to school for that originally. What was that? What was your goals in music? So when I got to USC, I thought, okay, I want to do music. I need to do something that's going to support that. Um, but I didn't have confidence in myself to do um, a performance major, so I went with um, so I applied to the music industry program. And actually, funnily enough, the first time I applied, I didn't get in. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> decided to meet with the um, head of the program, and we talked. And so the program was very focused around um, there's a lot of different paths you can take. Some people go with, you know, financial business managers. Some people just go with management. Some people go with, like, managing venues or doing sound mixing. There's a lot of avenues you can take through it. Um, and the more I did it, the more I realized, you know, it's the, I feel as though I chose this major because I wanted to perform um, and I'm not doing that, you know? And so I, I guess my, I would say that, you know, when it comes to school, it taught me a lot and it was amazing and I loved it. Um, but it also made me realize that I need to be, you know, I, I'm allowed to be specific. I'm allowed to go for what I want to go for. And just because I don't think I'm good enough in this moment, you know, that means I need to work on believing in myself, you know, not, you know, not, it doesn't necessarily mean it's not indicative of my talent. It means I need to learn to believe that that exists, you know? And so um, I realized, you know, I'm allowed to go for what I want to. And I started to submit myself to auditions. I originally musical auditions and things that had to do with music. And then, you know, it became more, more of my focus became acting and, you know, it's sort of eventually auditions that sort of led to the big stuff. So it was a gift in that way. Nice. Well, I want to talk about the big stuff here. In just a couple seconds. Let's go ahead and take a break, though. Uh, we're going to play another Matt Stern. This is your magic. When we come back, we're talking to Zach Barrick right here on the Left of Straight show on the Left of Straight radio network. You are the best thing. You hold my heart inside your hands. you magic. You make me crazy. Your touch it makes me lose my head. It's tragic.
We are back. That was Matt Stern with Magic. Guys, we're talking to Zach Barrick, uh, triple threat, comedian, singer, and actor. I want to go ahead and get into the acting. Um, this seems to be your first big major production. What a way to go into it with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But I know there's not a lot you can talk about, so it hasn't come out. So we'll tiptoe the best we can. I'll give you a safe yeah. word. If the ghost of Stan Lee or a Disney bigwig comes at you, just say pineapple and I'll shut up real quick, okay? So we'll, we'll, we'll get some ground rules going into it. <laughs> Let's talk um, first about um, have you done any film work previously to this? If so, how does it uh, compare to being in a Marvel Cinematic Universe experience? Or do you think you have nowhere to go but down now? Talk about this first experience. Um. So I had very little experience on any kind of film sets before. I'd done a um, – my very first job I ever got was an um, industrial sort of production. So it was um, a video for social work students um, on alcoholism in, like, the trans and LGBT community. And it very different. <laughs> so when I got to the sort of – Yes, thanks. <laughs> Mm. Gig, you know, this was getting to. So they said, "Hey, you got the job. We need you to fly out to London in like a week. Um, we're getting your visa. We're gonna, you know, fast track everything." So I drove to San Diego. I got my passport overnighted. Um, I packed up my apartment as best I could because I was moving out that summer anyway. Um, <laughs> threw everything in storage. Uh, got home to Chicago. Grabbed a few extra things, and then I flew out to London. And I had no idea what to expect. It was pretty amazing. You know, I I felt very, you know, I had a lot of really good mentors and my coworkers, you know, I had people who were absolutely happy to answer my questions, numerous as they were, um, you know, irritating as they might've been and repetitious as they might've seemed and never got sick of me and weren't mean to me about it and you know how to find camera just silly little things that I really shouldn't you know should know and now I do because they were 
there's no better experience than sort of being thrown into it. Right. That's awesome. I love that. And like I said, we can't talk too much about your character and role yet until everything kind of gets defined, but let's talk about some public stuff. Like you said, you had to go to London. This place shot everywhere from London to the Czech Republic to Italy to New York. What sets were you involved with? Can you say where you had to go to at least? Yes. So Hertfordshire um, was where we, um, it was where we were located um, in terms of like where we stayed. So we stayed in a little town called St. Albans, which was amazing. Had some really incredible restaurants, actually, like some of the best ones we had out there. Um, And then we did film in London as well, like central London and then east London as well. Um, And then I shot in Prague. Um, The crew went to Liberace, they didn't go. Um, And then I was in Venice and New York as well. Nice. That's got to be awesome to do all that stuff. Were you a traveler before or was this like, let's immerse you quick? (laughs) It was my very first time in Europe. I'd been dying to do it. And actually, um, before um, my last at USC, um, I had taken a class on sort of creative, the creative arts during like World War II was the focus. Um, and we had learned so much about Prague. And I had specifically wanted to go to Prague. And it felt like magic because I got this like list of places we were going to be going. And I was like, boy, that kind of cool you know like I've been for the past right. like, few months I've been of going to this amazing city I've been hearing about it from my professor and I it couldn't have been like more perfect you know and I, I've always wanted to go to Italy so it was it was really amazing I I think one I keep wondering you know when when will I get the time to go and and when will I make time to go and then uh it was made for me <laughs> were you able to get some downtime on the set and be able to go explore a little bit yeah, absolutely. Um, one of my very favorite things we did, uh, or I did, was um, when we were in Prague, I went to, so one of the stories I had heard, um, uh, you know, a lot of the World War II stories are a little dark, so, but it, but I went to some of the war sites, and, and it was, there's a very specific story I heard about these soldiers who, um, you, you know, some allied soldiers, Czech soldiers, who hid out in the uh, church basement. So we got to go to that church basement, and it was haunting and beautiful, and the notes that kids have left, um, kids that have, you know, no connection to these people, um, American kids, kids, you know, from all different places, because the notes are in all different languages. Um, it really wow. it felt, yeah. And, and, and as a trans person, I think, you know, and, and also a Jewish person, you know, you have, you have a connection to sort of the events that go on there um, in a lot of ways, because there's different parts of your identity that are, you know, were persecuted and attacked. And, and so being, being able to look at that um, was sobering and, in the, in the, in sort of the, in the same context as I'm doing this huge opportunity and this incredible new opportunity, it was sort of this weird little parallel to go to set one day and the next to a war memorial, you know? Um, so it was, yeah, that's, it, a, yeah, that's it, deep. Oh man. I love yeah, that. That it, is fantastic. Yeah. Very cool. Well, like I said, we can't talk too much about your character. I mean, the press does, uh, is talking about you being an out and proud transgender part of the community, but it's really undefined in the in the movie. Um, yes, talk about what was what was it like just to be um, on set and get to work with all these different people? Are you allowed to talk about your co-stars much at all? Yeah, I mean, yeah, of course. Um, you know, I will. I had the best bunch of people working with me in the whole world. I mean. 
you know, to not have, because, you know, the, a lot of people don't know, actually, there was another transgender actor on, involved as well. Um, and, and, and he, you know, having him around, having all the other people. But, but the truth is, like, you know, even before I knew he was there, I felt great. You know, I felt fine because there was this welcome party. You know, I got there and everybody was like, we're so happy to have you. Welcome to the family. Um, we didn't even, you know, it wasn't, it didn't come up, you know, I, and I think people were so respectful. And then when it came up, it was organic. You know, nobody, you know, it wasn't like a, can we ask nice, you invasive yeah. questions, which has happened to much, you know, much less, you know, that would have been a place that like, I could see that happening, you know, for people. And I'm sure it does for folks on set. And, you know, I had none, of, I, I don't have any horror stories. You know what I mean? I, I got to walk away and say, right. My friends were the type of people where instead of my whole focus with them being, Oh, you're the trans one or whatever, which has happened to me before. And, you know, I, 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 you know, I bust tables back home and I remember thinking, you know, I grew up with a lot of these people. Um, some of them know I'm trans, some of them don't. That's really nerve wracking. You know, I had no idea where I stood and, you know, nothing bad happened, but it was, you know, I just, and I, and when I was on the movie, I knew exactly where I stood always, um, you know, and, nice. and right. I, instead of worrying about, you know, being the trans one, like I said, I was worried about, you know, the guys are going to drag me out of my house today, whether I want to or not, and they're going to make me go do something fun. And I know I'll end up enjoying it. You know, <laughs> it was more like, <laughs> you know, my worries were more like, are they going to let me sleep in? <laughs> or are we going to go to London? Yeah. You know, it's borough markets in the middle of the day. So that's yeah. fantastic. Well, like I said, I kind of stalk on social media and it was really cool on transgender day remembrance that, uh, Tom Holland retweeted and, and get a comment. So it sounds like it was really was accepting on everybody. That's, that's just kind of cool that everyone gets together and really has that film atmosphere that you hear about all the time. Cause it doesn't always happen. No, absolutely. And I think with boys in particular and men, um, that's always the most fearful I feel, you know what I mean? Cause I grew up sort of interacting with women in a more kin, you know, kindred way, you know, cause you, you share whether or not I felt like a woman or a, a feminine person, I, I shared experiences that you can only have um, in, in certain settings, not, you not only have, but, you know, certain experiences with people is the point, you know, I shared, I, I was put in, like I was put in girls soccer, you know, I was put in girls field hockey, things like that, you know, whether I wanted to be or not. Um, So, you know, I was used to socializing with feminine people and I would, I think there's just, I know, I think it's just a power dynamic maybe, but, something about like cis straight men always freak me out. You know, I'm always afraid they're not going to accept me or that they're going to think I'm like a loser or, you know, dweeby. Cause again, I am just like a five, one Jewish, you know, trans guy. And um, <laughs> I have, you know, I think it was one of the very first time we all went out together. Um, we had only had like two days on set so far together as a group, but we had talked like that first day we were all in, I think it was um, like, so Tony, so to- these are some of the guys in the cast. It was, um, Tony, Remy, Jacob, Tom, and then um, 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 Darnell and a few other people. We were on the screen room, and we spent the whole time laughing and being silly. We were waiting because we were filming on a um, at an airport, and we were just being silly. And we were, and it was, it was sort of like it felt like we just all knew each other, sort of all right off the bat. And so the very first time we went out, I was nervous. I was like, you know, is, is the work you know, is, is being a work friend going to translate into being a friend friend, you know, like do those things equate right. or are they just being nice to set, you know? And then we got to this, like this, we went to a club or something for someone's birthday and I felt these just jarringly muscular <laughs> arms <laughs> around my neck. 
And I turned around and it was Tom and he was like, I'm so glad you came out. And it was like a big breath of fresh air. I was like, okay, they are, you know what I mean? Like we're, you know, this is whether or not, you know, you know, it's forever or, or whatever in this moment, everybody is my family, you know, and, and they, they never stopped short of making that uh, clear to me. That is great to hear. I absolutely love it. Now, I knew to ask you, though, because like I said, going back to my stalking of of uh, social media, you said you were pranked somewhere on set. This is your biggest set. Were you pranked here? Or talk about that if you can. Yes. <laughs> so when we were in Venice, um, we were filming something, and there was a section that was sectioned off where we were, like, not in the shot, and we were waiting for the shot to begin, and there was a dark little tunnel, and they told me that I should go back there to find something because, like, someone had gotten stuck. Or it was, I just should have known. You know what? Jokes on <laughs> It was truly me that caused this prank to be real. Um, so I go in, and they, you know, someone's hiding back there, and they jumped out and scared me. And it was on film, and it was so funny because everybody was in on it. <laughs> like, truly, oh my it was God. a silly thing. But they, you know, so, um, but I, you know, I, they, they know that I'm um, plotting you know, my revenge. So, it, you know, it's it's not over. <laughs> there you go. Well, that's how you know you're part of the family when they prank you. So that's awesome. Right. I love yeah. that. Audrey, what questions do you have for Zach? Well, um, actually, you know, in Hollywood, in, in the Hollywood business in general, what's the attitude or current atmosphere towards the LGBTQ community, uh, especially transgender actors? Yeah, um, so is now working on sets with a lot of trans people and with very few. And um, it was, it's interesting. You know, there are people, so I, I for example, I did a, um, I did a show, like a cop show um, that'll um, be coming out soon. And there were some lead actors who are in, clearly very involved in the process, producers. And every step of the way, we're talking to the director actively being like, Hey, this is a community that's at high risk. You know, this thing, this thing, this thing needs to happen in the script. You know, this thing needs to be portrayed and having people who weren't trans, you know, go to bat was amazing. Um, on the other side of things, you know, I've been in situations, you know, not, not really in my, you know, in my big projects recently or anything, but in work situations or in, in acting classes or whatever that I might've been in, you know, I've also had people sort of be like either, you know, it's not important or it's not, you know, leave your identity at the door or um or that's the only thing about you you know what I mean like I've had people say don't you know don't make that your only thing don't make that your thing don't make that your thing and it's like I don't know that I'm really gonna have a choice you know and, and so <laughs> I, I I'm not, and, and also there just are a lot of people who don't have the choice even if I did um so maybe it's not you know maybe it's a responsibility um or at least um in some way something that needs to be talked about um I can't just ignore it you know, and I can't just pretend it's not a thing. Um, you know, on that cop show, it was amazing to watch these people be like, the, you know, it was handled so perfectly, amazingly. The script was great. You know, everything, they had it checked over by GLAD. Like, it was just, there, you know, there was so much care. And then, you know, on the other side of things, you have people that are either saying, don't talk about it, or that's the only thing you are. And it, it is tough to find a balance, you know, because you have, you know, I have experiences working on, you know, Spider-Man where, you know, it wasn't like a big point of conversation while I was out there or anything, but in the back of my head, it is always a big conversation. It is not something that is ever not on my mind, you know? 
um, because there's always, you know, if we're going to the pool, oh, this is the first time I'm taking my shirt off in front of these guys. You know, if we're going to every, you know, every event comes with, a, you know, I have to think about being trans in that context sometimes um, because I have right, big scars right. across my chest and a big rainbow tattoo on my body, you know, and, and I'm so proud of who I am, but it's still unnerving. You know, after four years of being out as a trans guy nearly, um, it is still so unnerving to come out to new people. And so, you know, it is, I think in Hollywood, right now the most important thing in addition to getting actors on screen and having that visual representation is also making sure parts are written properly, um, things are produced properly, things are directed properly, painting people in the right kind of light, not just telling sad stories where people get killed, not just telling stories about angsty teenagers, not just telling stories that are, you know what I mean? Making parts that right. are dynamic. Well said. Making, and that's also having trans people play cis people is another step in it, you know, because it definitely gets to be the other way around. You know, they definitely do it the other yeah, way absolutely. around. Stop shy of casting cis people. So, you know, it, it's just, it's about taking the next step now. It's about being intersectional. It's about trans people of color, trans women of color. Um, it's about protecting people and having bigger conversations than just, okay, we have a trans person on our show. We have a trans person in this movie. Right. You know, I'm just, Seeing that the uh, most of the press releases I've seen refer to you as transgender actor Zach Barrick, does do you like that, or would you just rather be known as actor Zach? You know what? Um, I guess I think it depends on the context. Probably, you know, when it comes to the like Variety article that came out about the movie, which I think was the first one, maybe um, it it made so much sense to me. You know what I mean? Or there was a Bustle article as well that was like trans actor. And actually I, um, I saw some comment once that was like, uh, oh, it was a trans person, I believe, who was offended that it was, I was being referred to as a trans actor. So I think there is room for discussion about being pigeonholed or being defined as one thing, which definitely comes with the territory. You know, you can get stuck there. Um, and also maybe it is negative to be categorized as that. But there, on the other hand, and I do think, this is where I'm at with it right now and where maybe we're at in terms of, you know, a Marvel movie coming out is that it needed to be said. There's a trans person in this movie. People need to know, um, you know, because holy shit, you know, <laughs> like, the, right. can you believe it? No. So it's, 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 I think in this moment, I love the visibility of people being trans actors, if they're comfortable with it, if you know what I mean, if, as long as we can, I think the goal is ultimately to make the most people comfortable and have good quality of life as a whole, you know, not just in the context of Hollywood, but in life. Um, and so complicated because you can't, not everybody's going to be comfortable with the way it's phrased. And I think that's really tough. But for me right now, I kind of like, at least for now, or, or you know, where we are, at least with this project, I don't mind it at all. You know, eventually I'm sure, yeah, I'm, you know, I, w I want other parts of my personality to be, <laughs> you know, as important or to shine through. And you know, I can see how, being trans actor could sometimes blind people to that. And I think, you know, when that happens, that'll be a conversation worth having in that moment. But I think right now right. I'm really glad that that's a headline people got to see because the response that I've gotten from trans kids has made me weep. <laughs> like it's truly, that, um, fantastic. you know, it's, it's amazing. Um, it's, a, it's, it's unlike anything else. That is what's really important is like your generation the younger generation, they don't even think twice about it anymore. And, you know, to see a transgender actor on TV, it's like, oh, okay. 
and and I think that's cool. I think that's great. Yeah, I think that's very well said, Zach. I really appreciate that. Very good friend of the show is um, Scott Turner Schofield, who was the very first trans act on a daytime soap, um, and he's he's been he's very good at educating. And like you said, the goal is to be trans actors and cisgender and not make difference either way an actor is an actor portraying a part but I'm just so excited for everything you have going on in front of you but we're running out of time here thanks for coming on the show my friend thank you for having me anytime yeah, you're welcome so back hopefully we maybe get you in Palm Springs for the big gay road trip obviously we're going to be seeing you July 5th in Spider-Man Far From Home um any other programs we should be on the lookout for? And what's your social media so other people can stalk you as much as I do? Yeah, um, look out for the, um, you know, uh, look out for the Transparent Finale coming out in September. Um, I have a small role in that. Um, look out for um, LA's Finest. It's a new Spectrum series that's a spinoff of Bad Boys. And um, obviously look out for Spider-Man, my Social media is Zach, Z-A-C-H, Barrick, B-A-R-A-C-K, and no spaces, no underscores. So it's Zach, Z-A-C-H, Barrick, B-A-R-A-C-K. Awesome. Any uh, last words from you, Audrey, for for Zach? Uh, I just want to say, Zach, it's just been a real pleasure talking to you today, and I'm really excited for you, very happy for you, and, and I wish you the best of luck. It's been Absolutely. I'm, I'm very grateful that you guys asked me to talk, and thank you so much for having me. You are welcome back anytime, my friend. Stay on the line for me. Guys, we're going to play out one more time with one more Matt Stern music, Keep Me Awake. When we come back, we're going to be talking to uh, our good buddy John Jackson, who owns the Indulge Resort in Palm Springs, where we're going to be spending the entire month of June doing live shows. Uh, so look forward to that. We'll be back in just a couple of seconds. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on Left of Straight Radio Network.
Guys, we did get our first guest. I'm so excited. He is the owner and operator of the clothing optional resort for gay men in Palm Springs, California. Indulge is a Southern California destination offering amazing rooms, vistas, and entertainment, all close to the fun of excitement of Palm Springs. Please welcome to the show for the first time, Mr. John Jackson. John, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Like I told you off air there, I've heard so many great things about your resort. Haven't had a chance to go there first, but uh, sounds like an amazing place. Let's talk about you first. So where did you grow up, and uh, when did you um, first start? Um, I heard you were a lawyer. When did you – you were you still practicing law? I've been doing some pro bono work. What was that? Or either a charitable. I'll, I'll do pro oh, bono work for like a charity or if someone is in need of a lawyer and can't afford a lawyer. But otherwise, I don't practice any longer, but I keep my license active. I, I grew up in northern Utah in a small farming town outside of Salt Lake City. And then I moved to San Francisco after law school. And that's where I had my law practice. And then my husband and I bought Indulge about eight years ago. And uh, it was an existing gay hotel with a really loyal following, and we've fixed it up and continue to make it better every year. That's exciting. I have all sorts of questions I want to ask about. And tell me that you're married and in partnership with your business with Sandy, your husband. How did you guys meet? Uh, we met in San Francisco through um, a mutual friend. I had recently broken up with a prior boyfriend, and our mutual friend uh, went out of his way to light us up multiple times before it finally stuck. 
Uh, we've been together ever since. It'll be 20 <laughs> years this next March. Oh, congratulations. That's fantastic. Thank you. And then you guys were in the restaurant business a bit first. Talk about that. And how is restaurant business different from resort business since they're both kind of service industries? Well, they're, yes, they're both hospitality for sure. But the restaurant industry is much more um, high pressure. You know, this was the, the restaurant we had was fine dining. Uh, when people are coming in and spending a lot of money, they expect everything to be perfect as they should, and uh, things, of course. And when you've got to right. make make somebody happy, and you've got such a short period of time to do it, you know, the best example is is if you overcook somebody's steak, and you've got six diners with their perfectly cooked food, and one person whose steak needs to be redone. You got to fix that immediately because everybody else has started to eat, and there's just a lot that can go sure. wrong in a very short time, and, and the, the pressure is much more. It's just different, and with a hotel, particularly a gay hotel, where people are there to relax and be free and sort of be with their community and their tribe and hang out, it's um, it's just a slower pace. And while we still go out of our way to make sure everyone's happy we have a little time to take care of the problem, whether it's, you know, someone's TV that's not working right, we can get in there and fix it, but it doesn't, it's not like a 30 second deadline. It's more like a five to 10 minute deadline. And that just, that little bit of time eases up all the pressure and makes giving a great guest experience a lot easier and a lot less stressful. So I didn't really enjoy being in the restaurant business, but I absolutely love being in the hotel business. And and I think my husband would agree with that 100%. That's super. I, I was in the restaurant business for 20 years as a manager and owner, so I definitely understand the, the hustle and bustle it has to be when you're when you're sitting down for five minutes to have a quick meal. Like you said, anything that that goes wrong needs to be fixed immediately. So I can definitely understand that. Um, let's talk about Palm Springs first. Talk to me about the city. How familiar with it were you before you went there? Um, my listeners are around the country and around the world. Talk about your city and its LGBT appeal. Oh, I'm happy to talk about it. I I love Palm Springs. I first came to Palm Springs back in 1988, right after I came out of the closet. I was in law school. A group of friends and I would take road trips, and we would either come to Palm Springs or we would go to Laguna Beach. And, and back then, Laguna Beach was very gay. and was a gay destination, and like many other gay destinations across across the country, it's been gentrified, and I think they're down to one gay bar, and it really isn't where Palm Springs has been able to maintain it. And over the years, they've always had multiple gay bars, multiple gay hotels, multiple gay restaurants, and it's a destination that probably lasts forever. Our population, when you eliminate all the tourists, is nearly 50% gay or lesbian, and our city council, all six members are either gay, lesbian, or trans, and our mayor is also gay. So it's a, a gay city yeah. as you'll find anywhere in the world, and it's very welcoming, not just to the gay uh, retiree, but also to the gay tourist and someone who just wants to come for a real quick visit. It's just a really amazing place. But what's real, what, what I find interesting about Palm Springs is that it, it had a kind of start in its heyday in the in the 40s and 50s when the Hollywood celebrities who had lots of money and wanted to escape to privacy would come out to Palm Springs to get away and, and it sort of it started the clothing optional thing and that the 
Hollywood stars like the Sun's Day is topless, and they could do it without the fear of paparazzi in Palm Springs. And because of that, the largest the largest nudist resort uh, west of the Mississippi opened in Palm Springs back in the 60s. It's called the Desert Sun, and it's so large that it's on two sides of the street with a covered walkway, so you don't see the nudists as they walk up over the street and back down to the other side. And I think as a result, oh my goodness, that's amazing! Yeah, it is amazing. It's fun to see the little heads bobbing up and down because that's all you can see is their heads. But it's because of that, it's because of the, the sort of the history of the city that when the first gay resorts opened here, they opened as clothing optional as well. And one of the big differences between the nudist resort here and a gay clothing optional resort is that it truly is optional. At the nudist resort, nudity is required. So unless you're leaving to go to dinner, you can't be wearing anything. And the... the at the gay okay. resorts, at least at least it indulge, it, it truly is optional. We want everyone to be comfortable, whether they're comfortable in their swim trunks or whether they're comfortable naked. And we, we find that it ends up being about 50-50. It, it, it even will break down within couples, where one person will be very comfortable being naked and the other partner prefers to keep his suit on. So it, it truly is optional, but that's sort of part of what being free and enjoying your community and and, and having the perfect vacation for you is that you're you're free to be who you are, and I think that's why people enjoy it so much. I love that, and I want to talk about that more later on too, because there's a big difference between clothing optional and a lot of LGBT. Remember the bathhouse days, and it's a big difference. A bathhouse is someplace you're going for something totally different than the experience you are to a clothing optional resort, right? Yeah, and in fact, Palm Springs has a few of the bathhouse style resorts. And uh, they accept day passes, and they have lockers, and they also have hotel rooms. So I think the the person who is booking their vacation in Palm Springs uh, needs to do a little bit of research to find out which hotel is more appropriate for them. And there are plenty of people at the bathhouse style resorts do great business, and they provide a service to the to the gay community that some people are looking for. Our hotel, actually, we don't have passes. The hotel and the swimming pool and hot tub are for the exclusive use of our guests and our guests only. And someone who's coming for a vacation will have that privacy and exclusivity. And uh, and because some of the bathhouse-style hotels offer day passes, if someone wants to go check them out, they're you know more than welcome to. And they'll always have adults to come back and hang out and have their privacy and exclusivity and really sort of the peaceful vacation that hopefully they're looking for if they're booking with us. Really looking forward to going back to Palm Springs my next visit down there. I went as a, I grew up in Southern California. I'm actually in Northeast Ohio right now. I've been banished for the last 15 years, but I grew up in Southern <laughs> California near Ontario and I would drive out to Palm Springs for spring break every year. Cause that's a big, of course, all the teens go there for spring break, uh, gay and straight, but that's what I remember it from. And it's just exciting to hear that it's become this gay mecca. That is just exciting. I know my good buddy Del Shores, of course, from all the sorted weddings. He just recently bought a condo down there, and he loves it there as well. So I have to get my act together and get back over there. Yeah, you need to come out and see us. Well, let's talk about now um, the resort. So you and Sandy took over, like you said, in um, 2010. Tell me how you hear about the, the being on the market. And what were your first thoughts about running um, a clothing optional resort? Well, we came across it uh, at the time. Sandy and I were looking to buy an apartment building or a mixed-use building. 
And uh, the, the sort of the primary listing service for that includes all kinds of commercial buildings. And so when we put in the parameters of our search, this hotel popped up and uh, we were mildly interested and we came out uh, for a visit just to check it out and immediately fell in love with the place and decided that it, it was what we were looking for. And, um, you know, we were a little bit reluctant given our hospitality experience in the restaurant industry, as I discussed before, and we're pleasantly surprised to find out it was completely different and more along the lines of a laid back kind of hospitality we prefer to provide rather than that high intensity required in the fine dining establishment. And that's right. what we found it. It was just listed with all the other commercial properties, gay and straight. And, um, yeah, we just really fell in love with the place and saw a lot of ways that we could improve it. And as soon as we purchased it, we proceeded to do just that. That's amazing. Now, did you ever guys talk about the personal side of the business? Besides being a great business investment, what did you guys – did you guys have any conversations? Like, okay, now we, we are a committed couple, but we are going into this clothing off resort surrounded by gay men – 365 days a year. Did that ever come into the talk at all? Um, well, you know, I think after you've been together for a certain amount of time, there's a lot of stuff that doesn't need to be talked about. You just sort of have an understanding. And that understanding for us is right. that this is our business, and uh, we treat it as such. And we're here doing the best we can to give the guests a great um, experience. And when it's time to go home, we go home, and we leave the guests alone, and we leave them here to enjoy themselves and uh, get to know each other. And, um, you know, we understand what our role is, and our role is to provide a great experience. But at the end of the day, we're not here to um, be a part of that experience other than to be in the background giving it to them. So uh, it, it's we have real That's clear lines. Yeah, no, I, Sandy and I both have the same philosophy. This is our business, and and uh, we're in the business of making sure people have a really good time, and then we disappear and, and let them have their fun. This is great. Now talk about what what are the differences from when you guys first got there in 2010? What was it like back then, and what have you guys have done to modernize it and bring it up to where you're at today? Well, one of the first things we did is we went in and remodeled all the bathrooms. The, the shower heads used to – the, the building is from the 50s. And the shower head used to hit you at about chest level. So we completely gutted the bathrooms and raised the shower up top, put in modern cabinetry, put in tile, marble tile flooring, marble tile bathroom surround, and new cabinetry. And then, um, of course, we repaint the resort about every three years. Uh, the rooms get repainted every year, uh, recarpeted every three years, brought in new mattresses. We just recently put, uh, refurnished the entire room. So last February, all of the furnishings, the lamps, the headboards, dressers, nightstands, all of that is uh, brand new. And we intend to continue to do that every five to seven years. So we, we just brought it up to a very modern level of quality so that you're getting the same value whether you stay gay or whether you stay at a straight resort. In fact, there are many resorts here that you won't find as nice of a room and certainly not at the price that we offer to our gay travelers. So. Um, one of the things we paid very close attention to were the repeat guests that had been built up over the time uh, that the prior owners had it. And we paid attention to the things they liked and really listened to them and made sure that we went about changing everything while changing nothing, so to speak. Like we had to 
the changes right, have right. come really slowly because there are so many things about the resort that people love that um, we were very careful to never disrupt that sort of culture and the energy of the hotel. That's so great. I love hearing that. And then talk to me about, um, let's talk about the nuts and bolts a bit. How many rooms do you have? What kind of amenities do you have? Um, a kitchen people can use, or do you have like a breakfast buffet, or do you have any kind of a restaurant, or what, what, what all do you have at the resort for your guests? Right. So we have, uh, we have 30 rooms. Uh, we have a continental, a fully expanded continental breakfast. Uh, what that means is in Palm Springs, depending on the size of the hotel, you can offer a limited continental breakfast or an expanded one. Ours is expanded, so it includes meats and cheeses and hard-boiled eggs and yogurts and pastries and cereals and orange juice. And Well, we always have orange juice, cranberry, grapefruit juice, coffee. So there's plenty. You'll have a very filling nice. breakfast. Um, we don't have a bar or restaurant per se. Uh, because of the clothing optional aspect of the hotel, we're not allowed to have a liquor license. But we do have an evening social hour. It's BYOB, and it's very well attended, and it's probably one of the favorite things of our guests. It gives a chance for all of the guests to meet each other. Uh, we put out the things that we can, like mixers and sodas and sparkling waters and cheese and canapes and uh, little finger foods and um and then we've set out all of the liquor that has been uh, donated by the guests, and which is frequented often. I mean, guests are, you know, they can't take their leftover liquor with them on the plane, so they donate it to a happy hour, and it just sustains itself, and it's a really nice way for the guests to get to know each other. Uh, oh, yeah, that's no, it's a really nice thing. And then another one of our nice amenities is that we have a, a relationship with a local gym here where our guests get a free membership while they're staying with us. So if they're inclined to work out while they're staying, then that's available to them. Um, yeah, it's just a really nice place to spend a lot of time. There's really no need to leave, but there's so much Palm Springs House to offer that if you'd like to, then that's great too. That is amazing. And there do any of the rooms have any kitchen facilities, or do you have, like, a barbecue people can use to bring food in and cook there, or is that a possibility at all? Yeah, all of the above. We have a really nice outdoor barbecue grill that's very popular with the guests. All of the rooms have small refrigerators and microwaves. About a third of the rooms have a kitchenette with a burner cooktop and a small little eating area. And then we have two suites that have full kitchens with a stove and an oven and a um, separate living space. So um, it's very common for, for our guests to prepare their own meals, whether it's for lunch or for dinner. Um, the, the rooms that don't have any kind of cooktop or kitchen, they all do have the refrigerator, and with the outdoor grill, it makes it perfect to, to dine. And, and, of course, our weather here is always perfect for dining outside. That's amazing. It sounds so cool. Um, let's talk a little bit now um, what kind? Tell talk to me about your clientele. A lot of people think, and most of these uh, clothing options are to tend to skew a little bit older. But I'm sure you have all kinds of people, all shapes and sizes from all parts. Talk about your your people that come in to visit you. Well, our guests are from around the world. Um, and any time of the year, there's going to be international travelers. But in July and August, it's overwhelmingly um, European. Um, and also tends to be fairly heavily Australian and uh, New Zealand. It's their winter. 
And July and August, of course, is when Europe shuts down and they all go traveling. And uh, the Germans in particular absolutely love the heat. So uh, there are many times in the summer where we have more international guests than we do have domestic guests. But we get plenty of domestic guests, too, particularly during the busy months of October, November, and March and April. Lots of people uh, in the United States coming our way. Lots of Canadians, too. And uh, it's all ages. We have guests in the you know, range as low as 19 or 20, which is very unusual, all the way up to 84, 86, which also is very unusual. But um, I remember one guest in particular, an 84-year-old guy who taught uh, water aerobics every morning in our swimming pool, which was just a complete delight. So we get everything. We get young guys, older guys, and men truly come in every shape, every color, every size, and everyone is welcome and indulged. I love that. That is fantastic. Now, another great thing you do, you guys have special events there. Um, we're going to talk about to Terry uh, Ray in this little bit, who has brought his play there that's going fantastic. And I know you had last week or past weekend you had Alexander Abramoff there signing his uh, Uncovered book. Um, talk about these events, and I hear you have an amazing midnight pool party. Talk about that. Well, you know, we, we – Again, we're in the hospitality business, so we want to make sure people have a really great time. So any chance to um, do something different or, or, or throw a party or do something to add to the experience of our guests, then we do that. And you mentioned Terry's Play Electricity. It's been very successful. It's a play that's set within a hotel room, and we have it set up so that you're actually sitting in the hotel room watching, and it's a very unique experience that you can't find anywhere else. Every... Thanksgiving, every Christmas, every Canadian Thanksgiving, which falls over the American Columbus Day, we uh, deep fry some turkeys and uh, make all the side dishes by hand and just have a big feast by the pool and homemade pies. Sandy is an expert pie maker. And so we entertain our guests on those holidays. On our Easter, our Easter bottom brunch is just becoming legendary. We have a great time, a big Easter bottom contest parade around the pool and uh, the winner gets a free stay, and it's just uh, really a great fun party. And then all year long, we're doing barbecues on the weekends. And, um, yeah, in the summer, the best time to be by the pool is around midnight, 1 o'clock, and so that's a lot of fun, too. We, we just try to make sure that everyone has a good time when they come out to indulge. It sounds like you and Sandy are amazing hosts. What has been um, the most surprising thing you found in your uh seven, eight years there now. Um, anything that's kind of been fun or amusing to you? Any fun stories or anything that's really made you happy or proud? Or what's what's been one of your highlights? Well, I guess the highlight is the friendships we've made with so many of our guests. Um, you know, we Sandy or I, we, we, we tried to both be there, but there's almost always one of us there at the social hour in the evening. And we're there primarily to facilitate introductions and to make sure guests are meeting each other and talking to each other. Uh, but over the course of that, you make uh, friends with various guests, especially the ones that come over time and that continue to come back and you get to know their friends and their their face and their family life and things about them. And um, I guess the thing that surprises me the most is how everyone has a story. And, you know, we, we got guys who have been married with children. We have guys who are married to a man and raising children. We have 
guys who are very religious. We have guys who are agnostic. We have guys who are atheists. We have um, people from every part of life, from train conductors to doctors. I mean, just uh, it's just a good reminder that gay people are everywhere. We're in every profession. We're in every country. We're in every city. And it's just fascinating to see that on a daily basis, that we really are only different from people in our sexual preference. And it's just, it's a really nice thing. Yes, sir. Well said. I love that. Now, and talk about your staff. Have your staff been with you quite a while? Do you you have seasonal staff that come in and come out or? Well, actually, we keep keep our staff full-time year-round. We run a real aggressive special in the summer as well as during the summer in January. And really the whole point of that special is to keep our rooms full so that not only so our staff is employed full-time, but so that whenever you come to, to Palm Springs and enjoy and indulge, there will always be people by the pool and there will always be a good time. But by, you know, severely lowering the rates during those times to get people to come out, it, it enables us to keep the staff employed full-time. And and so and we pay for our staff's health care. I'm a firm believer that health care is a right and everyone should have it. So unfortunately we live in a country that doesn't provide that right now so we do provide it to our staff and you know things like that maintaining the full-time year-round employment providing them health insurance uh we're very lucky that we end up having a very loyal and committed staff that is great and you have a great website where you can book reservations right online there and has contact information do you have on your website address and where they can find you on social media yeah, it's real simple. It's www.indulge.com. Um, Facebook, we're, we're just Indulge. Uh, Instagram is Indulge PS for Palm Springs. So just I-N-N-D-U-L-G-E-P-S. Uh, yeah, we're pretty easy to track down. Just Google Indulge. We'll come up in many places. But the website is real straightforward, Indulge.com. Terrific. Well, man, John, it's been great talking to you. Thanks so much. Is there anything else you want to let us know about before we go no, here? Look forward to you got some upcoming events. Uh, talk about your Blatino Oasis and Hot Rodeo. You have a couple things coming up. Right. So next weekend we're sold out for uh, Blatino Weekend. is um, a really fun weekend in the desert. It's nice and hot and everyone's having a really good time. The weekend after that's Hot Rodeo. I think we have a room left for that. It's, Someone wants to come out and get that cowboy fix on. And, of course, Memorial Day is a huge, huge destination weekend for all of Palm Springs, not just for us. And then we'll have a big barbecue for Memorial Day. And um, But then the busy summer months come, and July 4th is right around the corner. You guys can come enjoy indulge anytime, and we'll make sure they have a really great time. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for being a guest. Stay on the line for me. Guys, we're going to take a little bit of a break here. We're waiting for Terry Ray to call in. We're going to play a little bit of Tom Goss, our buddy Terry Naomi. You listen to the left of Straight Show. We'll be back here in just a few minutes.
special guests. Uh, we had Zach Barrick on. He's going to be in Spider-Man Far From Home. What a great first major film to be in. So be sure to follow his career. I think he's been going a lot of places. Thank you to Audrey, my intern, for uh, helping me out with questions today and being part of the show. Uh, and a big shout out to John Jackson over at Indulge Resort. We are going to be going there soon. Please check out the uh, website, www.leftofstraight.com, where you can follow the Big Gay Road Trip and get the link to the Indiegogo campaign, or go directly to indiegogo.com and type in Big Gay Road Trip, and you can contribute 5 or $10 to helping us um, get more guests on the show. We'd really appreciate it and help for travel expenses. Thanks so much. We've got some great guests coming up. Tomorrow we're going to have singer Eris on. And our second uh, pre-tape interview in the second hour, uh, live with Eris. Then next week, we have Dan Carter from Daminal Yogurt, or Yoga Yogurt, from Daminal Yoga. We got Hayden Joseph Singer. We have Neil from Broadway um, Fights AIDS. We have Josh Orozco with a brand new single coming up. Hayden McHugh. And then on the 30th, we have two of my favorites, Jenna Ushkowitz and Kevin McHale from Glee coming on. Great month of LGBT radio, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you tomorrow. Tune in 2 o'clock Pacific time, four, or 5 o'clock Eastern time, right after standing on my soapbox here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>